and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how is your weekend going? Been looking at some wall damp in my house. Nice. Yeah, which obviously blows. Then I went to a pub around the corner where I live where they've they've just redone it. I thought it was a scary student place, so I haven't been in there. But I went in there because some friends pointed out that they had some consoles hooked up. So you could go in there and play GoldenEye. Or, um, weirdly, on our table, the SNES version of Super Mario RPG. Oh, that is weird. It Was it was it presumably a SNES Mini, right? So they I, probably th- I think it was a SNES Mini, but I couldn't work out how you reset it or got it back to the main menu. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because what happened is one of my favourite burger joints, but one you consider too wildly experimental for your taste, Magu Burger, um, <laughs> when they used to be based in whatever that sort of, like, DLC bit of Bath is near where the other... I don't actually know where anything is in Bath. I'm is just that Moreland Road? Moreland Road, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is just someone who's just lived in the centre of Bath for too long, really. Um, perfectly nice place. But yeah, Magu, there, they used to have a SNES, the SNES Mini there where you waited as well. And so you'd ine- oh. inevitably get some very annoying kids who are playing like Mario Kart and thinking, why is this so shit <laughs> compared to the Mario Kart I've got at home? Um, well, the, the funny thing about this Super Mario RPG is I hit the save file symbol... And every single save file had been used, but it was all the first save point in the game. It was oh. it was basically like five save files all in Mario's house. Oh, I find that so cursed. It's like <laughs> like the idea of going to NQ sixty four and thinking I'm going to start my playthrough of like <laughs> the Dot Hack series or something or Zeta Saga. You know what I mean? Like, don't do it. Uh, um, they also yeah. have, uh, and this is something which is completely new to me. I mean, you may have seen this because you frequent bars more often than I do. Every now and then. Pint glasses that filled from the bottom. Uh, how do you mean? When you pour a pint, it doesn't go in from the top. There's a valve in the bottom of the glass. They put it on a thing and it also fills the pint. Wow. Now that I don't know about because I've just been, I'm a big Pepsi uh, sort of like max skirt person these days. I don't drink that much. Those glasses must cost a fortune because they've got a very elaborate seal at the bottom and there's signs all over the bars going, don't put your finger through that seal because, like, your pint will fall out the bottom. <laughs> it was abs- absolutely like cyberpunk 2077 shit. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened? Because you just put the glasses down, pressed a button, and then it just started filling up. Like, you didn't have to do anything. Yeah, the funny thing is that that place in general is kind of going for a, a slightly neon lighty kind of, like, cyberpunk aesthetic. Lightly, I would say. It looks very similar to how the pub used to look, I would say. But, yeah, except darker. Um, yeah, it is, and but and then now they have the neon lights to basically like make it seem a bit more atmospheric, I guess. So I was just sat at a table and I was I was being lit up in like pink and sort of like blue light, and I was thinking, wow, I've always wanted to be lit up like I'm in Blade Runner. But the sign on the wall just said milkshake or something, and I was like, <laughs> this is somehow not the most cyberpunk thing that's ever happened. Um, yeah. So I guess you didn't get to see how fucked the N64 controllers were with that golden eye, because that's the thing I'm always the most curious about when. I see an N64 setup. It's how fucked are the analog sticks, basically. Like, that's that's always the litmus right. test, isn't it? But um, I'm guessing <laughs> that table was taken when you got there. Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't, um, we didn't, didn't get to try it out. Yeah, there is something very un-cyberpunk about being able to see Mario RPG in your eye line. Just that little squat <laughs> Mario is not very futuristic. No, indeed. And so, uh, yeah, I kind of... Uh, I, I do quite like it, though. The, burger, the burgers are obviously excellent. So, uh, yes, that's our review of Nowhere in Bath. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
available now. <laughs> so I've been watching Scott Pilgrim, actually, Matthew. Scott Pilgrim takes off the anime. And I do really like it. I do wonder if I like it slightly less than other people. Um, because I always forget that with Scott Pilgrim, the thing I like the most is the the premise, obviously, of you know this, this guy has to basically beat all the evil exes of his new partner, uh, Ramona Flowers. And it's a bit sort of like... A sort of like naughty's core the story and this anime sort of like flips out a little bit as jay bayless friend of the show put it very nicely it's basically rebuild of evangelion but for um scott pilgrim that's exactly oh. what it is it's not quite the same thing has it got meat robots in it oh for fuck's sake the meat <laughs> thing again i just forgot <laughs> i hear you i say evangelion you just picture a hot dog basically that's uh uh no no meat robots in this one good it's good but i always forget that like when it gets it gets mega schmaltzy towards the end and i forget that that's the part of scott pilgrim i sort of bounce off of i quite like the sort of I don't know, slightly acid-tongued characters and this this kind of like idiot yeah. at the centre of it and the video game references, but then it becomes very, very schmaltzy and I kind of I I burn out a little bit on it. Is is that sort of something that passed you by Scott Pilgrim, Matthew? Yeah, I, I quite like the film, but I think that's because I when I saw it, that was one year I was at Comic Con and we saw the Scott Pilgrim panel and they gave everyone badges at the start and then they were like, if you've got this particular badge you can come with us now and come and watch the premiere. And then we all walked through the streets and then watched the film with, like, the cast and everything. Wow. And so it was really exciting. So I don't know if what I actually liked was how exciting that moment was. Like, Scott Pilgrim himself, I don't really like the character. In the film, anyway, that's that's my only interaction with it. He's surrounded by all these quite interesting people, and he himself, I'm like, eh, don't really care for this. And the music side of it doesn't really... Like, that's not really a world I care that much about. Like, I like (laughs) the video game stuff, but I do not give a shit about like the local music scene of Toronto. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's uh, you know sort of like slammed there um sort of indie music circuit. Well, no, no, I'm just I'm just not cool enough to like that kind of stuff. I was listening actually to is it Brian Leo Malley? Is, is yeah. that his name? Yeah. yeah. On um, Simon's podcast and it always bugs me when people are like really into games but also have stepped into the cool world of music. It's like you're both dweeb and cool, and <laughs> as someone who is unable to make that transition, <laughs> uh, I I just kind of resent it. <laughs> I do like it when your sort of like angle on something is like I'm not in. I have been left out of this, and therefore fuck this thing. Oh, <laughs> I oh like that, that is one. That's like everything to me. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not interested in it, it's it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's how no. I just. That's how I basically get through life and make life palatable. I just assume that I'm not missing out on anything good. <laughs> You're probably right. I've got nothing to uh, to disprove that, Matthew. I think that it's um, the Scott Pilgrim character is him being sort of hated is is not is not that uncommon. I think it's increasingly common as well because. You know, he is a white guy, 23, dating like a high schooler who he treats like shit and then, um, and sort of like, I don't know, treats, I guess the whole premise kind of treats the the, the partner, Ramona, as a prize to be won, which is, again, quite a naughty's core uh, sort of idea. And again, this anime sort of like subverts that a bit. And none of that is, you know, was Brian Leo Malley circa 2006's problem, you know, to think about any of that. Um, yeah. So I definitely don't lay that at his door. But I think as time has gone on, people are just like, oh, this guy's kind of an asshole, but his roommate is super cool. You know, this, the Aubrey Plaza character, Julie, in the in the coffee shop, super cool. And his sister's cool. So yeah, I agree. It's about this sort of like um, supporting players. And the show is sort of a bit more about them, I would say, than the um, okay. uh, Scott himself. So yeah, but that's enough about that because um that's not why we're here although it's kind of relevant to this uh, this episode matthew so we're doing another draft it's been more than two months our last few drafts have been very sort of like uh, you know sort of 
we've been taking on a whole console at a time we've been trying to give those consoles their due really good sort of like first half where we go into the history of the console and then the hilarity ensues when me and matthew fight to pick the best games for each console those all got really well wanted a lighter draft to see out the year this one was suggested by a listener koig in our discord licensed games draft matthew so sort of like a you know not sort of a subgenre but it's an umbrella of games right it's a, mm. a whole sort of like I don't know, it's a, it's a whole area of games that is sort of its own weird thing with its own twisted history. So kind of an interesting one to get into, but it should result in a, a slightly lighter draft. How are you feeling about this episode? At first, I was I, I thought, oh, this is quite a small pool. But then as you think about it, you're like, so many things are licensed games, technically. It's actually quite rich. There are a few quite gnarly categories in there. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what you've come up with for it. Yeah, I think it, these are some of my best categories, you know, sort of like Brad Pitt at the end of Inglorious Bastards. I think this might be my masterpiece kind of like right. vibes because I, I, th- I thought a lot more about, I mean, when we've done consoles, we pick genres, right? And that's not exactly what we've done here. There's, I think there's like one genre in there, but the rest are more sort of like the criteria is a little bit more colorful, I would say. So excited to get get into that but um matthew as ever we have a preamble probably won't be as beefy as our usual console sort of preambles because i don't think there's as much to dig into here but mm. the licensed game has a a long and sort of strange history obviously you know you think about the sort of like notorious failure of et and those carts being buried in the desert or whatever like the idea of the licensed game being bad goes back so so far it's almost as old as gaming itself the idea that licensed games are you know rushed people pick up the license churn out something to tie into a a movie or a, or a tv show whatever it might be rush it onto the market it's a pile of old ass but because the license is so popular it makes people buy the game anyway and that was such it was a staple of games for literally decades and you know maybe it's profile has changed in the in, in the meantime but Matthew, do you remember the first licensed game you played or owned? I think the first licensed game that I played was Chippendale Rescue Rangers on the NES, which I think it may have been the first time I ever played a NES. It's like one of my earliest video game memories, and I remember them running around on telephone wire poles while these like robot dogs snapped underneath. It was a video game, so it was automatically like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen as a whatever five or six year old you know i imagine that's true for most people that they're probably the first thing they encountered in games was a high chance of being a licensed game was it for you or no the the first game i ever played i think was or maybe i just watched it was um was mario mario bros super mario bros on the nez right i I remember vividly uh, like i must have been four or five at a friend's house watching that and I don't know if I got to play it or not, but I just have a memory of Fireball Mario sort of jumping through one of the first worlds in the game, probably the first level. Mm. So that is, I think, the first game I ever played. And if not that, I think it was Sonic the Hedgehog when my aunt and uncle got a, peer, uh, got a Mega Drive in 1992 or something. So I was I was quite young, but the kind of like platforming mascots were my first um, touch point with games. So weirdly, I, I had to think hard about this. The first licensed game I think I ever played was X-Wing on PC. So, oh, right. yeah, so I got, um, when my dad bought a, P- a, a CD-ROM drive for our PC in the early 90s, or maybe it was the mid-90s, this was like a game I got for Christmas. It was before I'd even watched Star Wars, so it must have been 95, 96 time, something like that, possibly even slightly earlier. And so they bought me this, ga- this game, and I just looked, at, I remember looking at the cover, this is absolutely beautiful sort of like render of x-wings flying towards a tie fighter and there's an explosion and and on the box art it's a really beautiful thing but that's actually quite an odd entry point to licensed games yours is a much more typical i would say i think that 
platformers they just sort of uh, all kids ended up with some licensed platformers in the 90s right or ended up playing them and i think um chippendale i know that those those NES ones are they capcom games those ones matthew i think they are right yeah it was a capcom one yeah so they had like uh you know i think you can even get those still in like the disney afternoon collection that's somehow that's somehow that's been unearthed you can still play that but you know i think all kids ended up having one of those so the idea that i was my, my first one was a spaceship simulation game is actually quite strange i was really just too young for it but um i do remember after that playing the aladdin and lion king games as well um those 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 were like a huge deal in the mid 90s and you talked about this before matthew but licensed games are kind of the blockbusters of their day right is that how you remember them yeah definitely and it's kind of interesting this 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 idea of like licensed game equals bad because actually certainly my mega drive experience was a lot of quite good disney tie-in games made by sega themselves so they were like technically excellent very solid platformers, really colourful licences, very high production values. Maybe I was like lucky that I don't think I was straying into the, the weird shit around the edges, which probably, you know, there probably was a big drop off. And there was a platforming game basically based on every cartoon licence. So, you know, if you had Aladdin and Quackshot and Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck at one end of the scale, there were also like Ren and Stimpy platformers, which just looked like absolute abominations. So <laughs> um, there was a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. I say that one particular because one of my earlier gaming mag- magazine memories was buying a Mega Drive like tips magazine, not really knowing it was a tips magazine. Like I don't think I really knew what games magazines were at that point, and it used to just print out the entire game. You know, as a, as a the walkthrough for the game was just a printout of the whole level of a two D platforming level. This issue had a Ren and Stimpy game in it, so there were just these pages and pages of just platform formations with enemies. Quite an abstract way to you know, like I've seen all of Ren and Stimpy the game. I've like read <laughs> Ren and Stimpy the game. Um, <laughs> like the like, imagine Ren and Stimpy the game as the Bayo Tapestry. That's what these things look like. <laughs> wow, what an honour that must have been to witness yeah. something like that. Amazing. It's funny because I, I, as someone who was playing PC primarily in the 90s, I was sort of like on the outside looking in with licensed games. And so I had this friend across the street, so whenever he got a licensed game that was like big and shiny, I was extremely jealous. I remember him getting Rugrats Search for Reptar. Right. That was in the late 90s. That was when that Rugrats film came out. And... It was quite a nice-looking game for the time. It actually captured the art style of the show fairly well for rudimentary PS1 graphics because they are all fucking warped babies. So they actually <laughs> make, it sort of makes sense, the juddering uh, sort of like textures of um, of PS1 graphics. So That should be the original yeah. working title of Rugrats is Warped Babies. <laughs> <laughs> so and they had like the voice actors in it. I remember just being incredibly jealous of that, but also because... He just get demo discs. It was just a you know snapshot into this other world of like, oh, what's this like? Digi- sorry, Disney magical racing tour and games like this that seem quite fun in demo form. And I was like, man, missing out on this on PC with all my good Star Wars games. This is yeah, tough. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in retrospect, I don't really think I missed out. And part of that is because many of them were bad. Mm. And in the nineties, I think it was very much in the vernacular of. You know, sort of like it was. It was something that magazines talked about a lot. Was the idea that licensed games were rubbish and you should be wary of them and you should read reviews before you mm. pick them out. And so, I was aware of licensed games being rubbish. Really, you know, quite young, probably about like nine or ten. Really. Mm. So, 
do you remember that as well, Matthew? That kind of like yeah. the atmosphere a bit of that. I remember it more clearly from the N sixty four PS one generation. I think you could make a pretty solid two D platform out of these games. And actually, developers of note like Capcom, like Sega actually meant that there were some decent license tie-ins in that earlier generation. But the shift to 3D and whether it's the jump in budgets or just that weird period that we've talked about a lot on here of just navigating that shift from making 2D games to 3D games, it nobbled a lot of people, licensed games or no, but licensed games were particularly rough. And I didn't play as many of them, but I read about a lot of them in Games Master. I have a really clear memory of going on a summer holiday uh, with my family to a camping uh, park. We used to have this trailer tent. I had this little kind of compartment in the trailer tent, like underneath it, that I used to live in. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like Harry Potter under the stairs. Um, And I remember sitting in there reading the E3 issue of Games Master for that year, eating a fuse bar, which I'd only recently discovered. (laughs) And specifically laughing my ass off at a um, preview of the PS1 game of Dragonheart. Right. And they were just absolutely ragging on how much the spread Sprite didn't it was like one of those digitized Mortal Kombat style sprites of right. how much this sprite didn't look like Dennis Quaid. That's kind of very typical of the time, like the the real shoeings people remember. And the reason like everything seems to get like eight, nines and tens now is because we don't have this tier of like absolute like two, threes <laughs> and fours, which people yeah. took great pleasure. I mean, God, N sixty four used to absolutely like savage you know, bad South Park tie-ins and things like that. Yeah, it's funny though, because when, when I look back, there's actually a, a, re- a relatively healthy bank of decent 90s tie-in games, even on those platforms. Like, obviously, you know, things like GoldenEye are self-evident, but, yeah. you know, the likes of sort of the, the um, Disney platformers that were on PS1 were pretty decent. Most of them oh, were... Okay, I, I don't really know that scene as well. Yeah, most of them are sort of side-scrolling games anyway, but, like, um, people seem to quite like the Hercules one, for example, or... Like Alien Trilogy on PS1. I had a friend who was obsessed with Jackie Chan's Stunt Master. Right. And he was like, this game secretly rules. There was the two Spider-Man games that were on PS1 as well. Um, those were those are pretty decent. Sort of like a precursor to, you know, what the what Treyarch would later make and then what Insomniac would later make. Um, obviously, Die Hard Trilogy as well, you know. So yeah. there was actually like a reasonably decent bank of these games. It sort of just happened to be that like there were also, there's such a high volume of them that their reputation in general was rubbish because there was just so so little gold amongst them. But there were, you know, when the gold appeared, it did mean that those games were able to become incredibly prominent. You know, I knew every kid I knew had Die Hard trilogy. I don't I don't know if, you know, these kids had even seen the movies or right. like, maybe they'd just seen like twenty minutes of it on ITV one, but they were like it was a big sort of badge of honour for a 12 year old to have like Die Hard trilogy in their collection of ps1 games right. <laughs> that was that was definitely a thing so yeah it's, it's a weird one i think like quality has always existed among amongst that but i agree with you that that was the t- that was the era of those games being roasted and you becoming very wary of that and i think that would eventually it was one of the factors that would eventually lead to publishers stop doing it because people would see through it right they wouldn't just buy a game automatically because it had a license that's people just became where wise to that in the 90s i would say so mm. that was mm. something that happened how often did you buy shit games anyway because the license got you excited matthew the, the worst case of this and i've definitely mentioned this before was when i bought revenge of the sith ps2 game 
because I got pulled into Sith Mania in the run-up to that. Was that a thing, Sith Mania? I don't remember that term specifically. I don't know how it came to be, given what happened with Phantom Menace and Clone Wars, but everyone would go nuts for those things. And that's when like the modern hype machine was kind of like powering up and... It was just everywhere, you know? Like, if you read Empire magazine, they'd have a 40-page feature about Revenge of the Sith, and it kind of tricked you into thinking that you were really invested in these things. Why did I buy it? I was at university. I had no money yet. I bought a full-price Revenge of the Sith tie-in before I'd seen (laughs) the film. But, like, back then, that happened with Star Wars and The Matrix. Like, there was just so much of it about that you were like, oh, I kind of have to get in on every bit of this. But that one doesn't make, because I'm not even a Star Wars guy. I I just have no idea what happened. It was just a (laughs) a moment of madness, Your Honour. I forgive you. But it's funny because I had the same thing too where... I was wise to these shit tie-ins, and yet I had my weak points. You know, like I, I was desperate for a good Matrix game. I was desperate for a good, right, right, a good Harry Potter game at the time. I was, you know, I really wanted to see that, and so I did end up buying things that I knew I knew were dubious. As mentioned, one of my all-time bad games purchases was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone on PC. Yeah, which I, I finished in like a weekend, and my dad sold to some like. I don't know, like an orphanage or something, which is, you know... <laughs> sold it to an orphanage. <laughs> it was something like that. Well, I think like it was a, a very low price, but yes. uh, yeah, I I think so anyway. My sister had that one on PC as well. But the thing is, I didn't learn my lesson because next year, the next year, well, first of all, I played that one and thought, well, this is rubbish. And then me and a friend, I, I pressured a, my friend down the road, Donald, into renting the PS1 version, which had the notorious PS1 Hagrid in it. That one is slightly better than the PC version, but still not a good game. It's a... Platforming, platforming puzzle adventure where you don't even press the jump button it jumps for you it was like so simplistic but and not not very good really this um, one hagrid wasn't notorious but that's like a meme that's arrived since that, that do you do you have a memory of seeing him at the time and thinking well there's something off about this hagrid no because actually like i actually thought they did quite a good right. job of creating a sort of not with hagrid specifically who i will agree <laughs> is very cursed but they did quite a good job of not trying to look, make it look like the films, probably because they didn't know what the films looked like because it was under lock and key or whatever. But they created this sort of storybooky kids sort of like book art style, you know, mm. sort of that I think where the, the characters are quite stylized, but it, it worked for the PS1's visuals. So, but it wasn't good. It definitely wasn't good. And then I didn't learn my lesson for the next year either because when I was in, um, I was in on a holiday in Florida and I went to like the local games um, GameStop or whatever and I bought the um, the Game Boy Color Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. But that was a banger, you see, because that was actually a Japanese RPG they'd made for that that platform, right? And it was pretty good. It had a rad like bowling mini game as well. In <laughs> Harry Potter, notorious, he spent a lot of time bowling. Well, that yes, where they famously go bowling <laughs> for that half hour sequence in the middle of the film. Yeah, and the, but the ultimate one, I never learned my lesson. I was curious if you you had this too. I never learned my lesson on James Bond. I mean, I, I didn't want Agent Under Fire. My parents bought that for me. But the Games Mags at the time were quite big on saying that 007 Nightfire was good. And they were kind of like giving it eights and stuff. And I ended up buying it because of that. And I think that was... I think in retrospect, I can admit that wasn't really a best-in-class first-person shooter. You know, it was kind of like... <laughs> That's big similar. <laughs> Well, it's like a similar quality level to a lot of EA's licensed stuff at the time, where it was like glossy, but just quite empty, you know what I mean? That era of PS2 first-person shooters, which didn't have the kind of like mega wow kind of graphics factor of the PC games, but they also didn't have the charm of the the N64 game, that era of Medal of Honor and James Bond, they just all had this certain kind of lifeless sort of sheen to them. 
We definitely did buy and play bad James Bond games. We knew full well what we were getting in ourselves in for. I mean, this happened on N64 too. Like, I, I knew that like no one who worked on Goldeneye had anything to do with The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> and I knew that I hated The World Is Not Enough as an actual Bond film. So I was like, well, yeah. I don't, I'm not even interested in seeing this story again. But you st- still, yeah, you still buy it. Just think, what? Well, I don't know, just in case they were wrong. Everyone deviated from what was good about Goldeneye, like, straight away. Like, no one ever went, oh, let's just do that. Like, no one really ever ha- did a proper attempt at just cloning Goldeneye. They all made them very linear, removed all the bonus objectives, made them really fussy. The world's not enough. They had loads of, like, instant fail bullshit in it. If you shot, like, your taser watch into an NPC, it'd be like, oh, James <laughs> Bond doesn't do that. But my James Bond did, and he did it a lot. <laughs> that poor receptionist at the bank at the start of The World Is Not Enough, she got tasered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the vehicle sections they added too, which were, you know, prime sort of, like, EA need for speed territory right so right. it made sense that they do those but then the car sequences are nothing like a james bond chase sequence because it'd be like it's like 25 cars you kind of blow up with rockets like, <laughs> I mean, just, like what in which film does he do that you know what i mean so yeah and it, they were just it was a thing of it was very irritating ea sitting on that license was incredibly fucking irritating because they would just make this shit when they could easily just put another year into one of these games and make them genuinely good, but chose not to. Chose to make them shit and chase that dollar. <laughs> and it worked because they got to use GoldenEye's reputation to sell their shit James Bond games yeah. over and over again. They kind of should have been like put on trial for it somewhere, like in the <laughs> UN or something. Like It, it was, was an eye-opener, though, because I think that process was the the means by which I learned that mm. games were made by people and different people. You know, like, I think I went into it, you know, after Goldeneye, I had the genuine thought of every James Bond game is going to be good because of James Bond. And right. then you go, well, actually, and you start seeing the scores for, like, you know, I was really envious that Tomorrow Never Dies was coming to the PlayStation instead. And then you saw, like, the drubbing it got. And you were like, oh, okay, something's changed. What's changed? Oh, it must be these these people are the... They're the reason that this thing is good rather than the thing itself. So not, not like, a, a, a radical uh revelation there <laughs> well well no but that's where like you know you switch your focus to perfect dark instead right because you're like well this is where these people went yes and so yeah, yeah this is the thing that matters yeah i think everyone kind of goes learns that lesson their own way but you know i sort of like um you know even with the matrix as well i didn't buy the end of the matrix i knew it was going to be i knew it wasn't going to be very good but oh, i, I needed to I see the that. <laughs> <laughs> well i needed to see the extra footage they'd obviously oh. shot for, for for it because you know they did the wachowski's literally filmed the like live action footage that's in the game like they and they filmed it at the same time as as the the films so it, you know it was even though who gives a fuck about niobe and ghost a game where the whole concept is do you want to hang out with the two incredibly bad hangs from the film universe <laughs> Well, I didn't. I, I didn't mind Niobe. I quite, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith, circa early noughties. You know, that's a big thumbs up from me, dog. Collateral. I was definitely sort of like my jam. Um, these days, not so much. I would say, <laughs> just like bad, bad, fucking really bad <laughs> vibes these days are off. Let's say. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like I was. I was game for it, and I. 
it was technically very impressive into the matrix but it was also just all over the place a game very unfinished feeling the end of that game was going down a dark pipe shooting those squid octopuses <laughs> like that was the grand finale yeah. to that game the big set piece was the bit everyone hates from the films is like oh yeah let's 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 go out with a bang let's do that for for <laughs> 10 minutes <Awful. laughs> Yeah, and then ended with Going Under by Evanescence over the credits, just to kind of cap off the uh, early noughties ass experience of that game. Also just had that terrible objective where you had to like shoot out the front tyre of like a um, an a- airplane coming down like a runway, and the airplane was so poorly rendered, it just looked uh, just looked completely unfinished, the whole thing, and yeah, all over the place really. But also, it had the germ of the thing I wanted, which is impossible fights against agents. That's something I just wanted to yeah. do more than anything else. That's I dreamed of that, and then... I didn't learn my lesson again because I ended up buying The Matrix Path of Neo, which is a much better game, but still not a good game, really. Um, but I did at least wait for that one to fall to about uh, to 18 quid instead of paying full price for it. But again, I just I just needed to, you know, you have these other fixations when you're a teenager and these, you want these games to like fulfill that for you. And they so often just fell short. But even though I knew they were going to be bad, I still just couldn't learn my lesson because if they if a game got like a seventy one or something, there was enough ambiguity there. Right, I, just need, I needed to find out what happened. You know what? Maybe there'd be enough to tick the boxes. And sometimes, you know, like the Lord of the Rings games we talked about on that episode we did a couple of years ago, like the Two Towers game actually did tick that box for me. It was quite short, but it was it was pretty good, I think. And then the Return of the King one was pretty good as well. So. They weren't always duff. When do you think their reputations start to change, Matthew? A lot of people would probably think they go away, but they actually just go and live on Wii and DS. Like, we had to deal with a, <laughs> a lot of this stuff, and it was it was really rank. Uh, if anything, they hit, like, an all-new low with that casual audience because it unlocks, like, a new tier of licenses that you would never have touched beforehand because it's like, <laughs> this thing's being advertised on daytime TV, so all of a sudden, shows that are on daytime TV become like valid video game concerns and so you end up with 10% games based on all the quiz shows your mom watches and likes that was really dire you know I don't think there's like one mega disaster which scares everyone off maybe it's just the fact that there isn't a DS anymore that people don't need to make these things well I think that's the thing I think the returns just diminish when you have to make the games in HD and you know the landscape becomes more competitive and it suddenly looks like you're making ass and you just can't (laughs) churn this stuff out so quickly and have children buy them i also think that a lot of the stuff went to mobile games and there's a yeah. you know there's a lot there's a lot of like really really dog shit licensed mobile games that are the similar deal like the city buildery things where it's like pay more to play now just all of that absolute shit i don't even really consider games sort of clash, clash of um, clans reskinned with paw patrol <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but I think the moment that their reputation started to change can be isolated to a single game, and that game is Batman Arkham Asylum, because that game is not based on a license. It's not based on the, a film license. It's based on the character license. But they, despite maybe some skepticism, they're going to pull it off. They'd only ever made one game before. They went for it with this original story set in the you know the name that's in the title arkham asylum this one location put you in there with a bunch of batman villains and you were sort of like trapped in this environment basically and it's sort of like bioshocky take on you know on this on this asylum as you kind of like figured your way out this metroidvania sort of structure to it just a super credible like cool game that actually pushes a couple of different genres forward it's you know it's a it's a very it's a very good stealth game that's not that complicated to play that's 
kind of what it does. I suppose it's building on Assassin's Creed there, but it also has a layer to it that is specific to Batman and not mm. really linked to Assassin's Creed, which is the hanging from gargoyles bit of it, which again ended up being influential. <laughs> Spider-Man would borrow from that. And then at the same time, this um, this sort of 360 degree sort of brawling uh, free flow combat system as well was, you know, a genuine innovation. And so you had this game that took the license seriously, did a really good job, and then also was a great game in its own right and, and pushed these genres forward in, in different ways. So a really important moment. And I think that starts to, I think this maybe leads to the end of the like naffa marvel games or at least like it, it allows them to subside a little bit we don't have as many of them in the decade mm. that follows and then i think it starts to get people thinking laterally about what can you do with a license that maybe has some films or tv shows tied to it but you're not necessarily just regurgitating what they're doing mm. so i suppose like you could say that star wars the force unleashed did something similar because it's an original star wars story that wasn't tied to a film but you know, much less successful than Arkham Asylum, in, you know, creatively. So, mm. yeah, I, I think that's the moment it changes. What, what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, I'd yeah, I, I, I buy that. And also just the success of that game, proving that you can marry that sort of iconography with something which is critically beloved and it does it does pay off do you think license are more commonly associated with quality these days do you think that that has happened in the years since arkham asylum released i guess with budgets being what they are these days and like the risk attached to these games the idea of just selling something on on just the title alone doesn't seem to happen very much I mean, i'm just i'm just trying to think of like proper licensed games that have come out in the last couple of years and you know they're all incredibly sumptuous sort of serious efforts ip is so precious to everyone that you have to kind of treat it with a certain level of respect that it didn't get treated with before yeah i think so and then you know even stuff like the hot wheels games for example are quite well liked you know what i mean it's right it's sort of like the license alone i don't think there's the same level of contempt where at least on consoles uh, this probably still happens on mobile where just the license alone is enough to kind of get you through the door. I think that they are being married to, you know, like a at least like a refined version of a, a game type that you know or something like that. Yeah. And there are obviously failures along the way, but, you know, the, the ways in which Marvel's Avengers fails are very different to the ways in which a licensed game in the 90s fails, you know? You, you see the effort that's gone into it, even if the game is not that good. So uh, we've definitely been asked this before, Matthew, but are there any licenses you think don't get enough love or have potential to be a game? Only because I started listening to one of these books on audio books recently. I'm really surprised no one's tried to do anything with one of the um, Brandon Sanderson books. All right. Just because he's massive, he's got this really like uh, obsessive fan base, and as a gamer himself, like they're, they're like I've I've never read anything. I'm listening to Mistborn on audiobook at the moment. And it's clearly the work of someone who's very into video games. One of the reasons he is beloved, apparently, is his like magic systems are very sort of mechanically thought out. And in those systems, you're like, well, this this feels very video game. So in this book, people kind of like eat. <laughs> it's really dumb. They like eat <laughs> metals, right? Then like digest them, sort of burn through them in their stomachs to get like magic powers. So it's kind of like eating as ammo, and I'm surprised no one's gone. Oh, that could be a video game mechanic. That's that feels like an RPG-ish thing. Yeah, maybe that. 
that's interesting. Does that frustrate you when uh, you read a book and it feels like it's too video gamey? Does that feel like, maybe not actually because because no. of the mystery books you like are yeah, very not, are no, very not, gamey in their structure. Not at all. Yeah. Like, you know, like it, it, it's just a product of the times. Uh, yeah, that's okay. fine. Yeah, it's 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 allowed. <laughs> no, fair enough. The the one recently where I was like, I'd never even thought about this as a game, and then I saw a rumor about it and i was like oh my god that is such a good idea for a game was scream because oh right yeah because it, it like it's rumored that um supermassive is making it right. and if i could work on any game i would love to like that's the game that i think would be a dream game to work on because <laughs> yeah. you can get the voice of, i'm guessing you could get the voice of the you know scream but the, the pretty pretty easily right the killer pretty easily like you get that guy yeah and if you get that guy you can basically lead into every single video game horror trope you can do that you can do all that stuff you can do like an intro where you're in in a house like watching tv and then the phone goes off you can do all that stuff they do in the film in a game and like just that the idea of that is really exciting so if they are making that i hope they really land the plane yeah because i think the the potential there is extremely high. But there's actually like a, a few sort of like different horror series I, I think that, you, that would make some pretty cool games. Like I think the um, Hell House LLC uh, <laughs> films that are on um, Shudder are right. like, those are basically like, what if we did a slightly uh, shitty sort of haunted house and opened it for business, but it kind of went wrong? That would be, right. that'd be quite, quite fun, I think. And um, all the, like, the escape room films, Matthew, like those sorts oh, of yeah, things. Yeah. Like just. Yeah, obviously, like I know, there's a sort of like you got the room games. There's a very, very different vibe. But like the idea of that in a more horror, more of a horror context, leaning into that sort of like those sort of Resi Seven sort of like moments you had, where mm. you know you you, were, you had like a trap and you're just gonna get out of it. They saw style traps, that sort of thing. Like that, that could work. There, there are also rumors that there are more Saw games in the works. I'm not really a fan of that series, but you know, again, like that's maybe something that feels slightly unexplored. But Scream is the big one where I was yeah. like, let. I really want to fucking see that. I hope that is, like, good as hell. What they show of the game should actually be the fake game from the start. So, like, you, you start <laughs> playing a game, then it zooms out and you see what the actual game looks like. So they should do, like, the meta reveal. They should do a little bit, like, you think you're going to be playing as this famous person for the whole game, and they get killed right at the start, a la Drew Barrymore. Think of all the different video game stuff you can riff on. Like... The idea of audio tapes. You pick up an audio tape and you hear the, you know, the sort of scream, yeah. the sort of like the vo- the voice on it, and like he makes fun of the idea of how contrived video game audio tapes are. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that. There's like so much potential to do that sort of thing. So I, I hope that that's what they do with it, and it's less more of less of a kind of like we try and make it feel like the film's kind of element because man, there's so much potential there. Mm. But that's I heard that and I was like, fucking yes, let's do that. That's the thing. There's so much room now. I think for high quality original takes on licenses and that's where things have changed significantly i think i suppose like to flip that there matthew are there any licenses you wish they'd stop bothering with this is probably more just like the desperation of a person who's had to review too many of these things is like endless dragon ball and naruto retellings (laughs) because the story's like finite everyone's seen it like either these games make up a new storyline which is always shit it's always here's like an adventure you didn't see from the whole arc and they went off and did this instead and that's rubbish or it's a really garbled retelling of what is basically a 500 hour long story and they try and crush it into 10 i find them very hard work yeah dragon ball fighter z though quite a nice yeah that's thing, you know, yeah like, uh, i, I realise there are there are definitely uh, exceptions exceptions to that rule yeah. I, there was a good ubisoft naruto game on 360 it had like the 2d fighting sections you'd expect from a naruto game but you also 
climbed around a 3D recreation of that world and it felt very expensive and it looked like Naruto Path of the Ninja, I think it was. That was good. Yeah, I only ever played one Naruto game and it was Ultimate Ninja Storm or something. Right. And I, I only had it because I stole it from the play cupboard on PS3. So, uh, yeah. Big, yeah, fighting game with lots of quick time events. They've just released like the sixth iteration of that. I think it's called Naruto Times Baruto Ultimate <laughs> Ninja Storm Connections. And right. you're like, no, thank you. That's interesting. From a big Naruto head, like, uh, yeah, the, the Naruto Baruto thing is not something I've looked into. The uh, the differences therein, but I'm sure it, it's very meaningful to the people who follow those. The license I wish that people would stop bothering with is Marvel. I think that those films are going to drag that license down, and it, it's like it's 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 already happened. Really, like the Marvels is absolutely cratered, which is unfortunate as the like the only the second film they've made that's really got any women in it which is unfortunate um or third film rather <laughs> yeah. but like the um it's like that whole license is it's sort of like because there's so much of it the entire thing is dragged down every time there's something bad or inessential and the last few years have been just like absolutely terrible for that brand and now i think if you make a a marvel game you can't release it without prejudice you know what i mean like people just are going to be tired of the license coming into it there's not going to be that excitement to see it i don't think and Mm. the fact that marvel marvel's avengers guardians of the galaxy and midnight suns all flopped suggests to me that it ain't gonna happen like all those games needed to come out in 2019 or 2018 Mm. you know it's and now it's kind of passed like spider-man is an exception because spider-man is it's basically as big as all the other marvel characters put together that's such an evergreen character and you know i think that wolverine game will do very well as well but when i see like ea's making an iron man game in a black panther game those i'm like i don't know if they're gonna you're gonna want those to sell like 10 million copies and i don't know if it's gonna happen you know what i mean mm, like it's mm. i just i kind of wish they'd leave them a little bit and then maybe if they can creatively recover the mcu which i don't think they're going to be able to do honestly i think it's kind of done for a little bit um mm. i think that it it might be a bit people might feel differently about it in a few years but unless you've got a mega fresh take being anything like the mcu in how you present those games is probably just not going to work out that's, that's kind of how i feel about it so uh mm. yeah but um they can keep making star wars games though matthew we still don't have that many of those so uh <laughs> yeah they're very welcome um are there any upcoming licensed games that you're actually mega pumped about, Matthew? I mean, we know nothing about it, but in Machine Games Indiana Jones, that is obviously mm. exciting. Oh, yeah. Based on nothing apart from Todd Howard going, it's going to be really good. <laughs> I, I am interested in, in Wolverine to see what Insomniac do with that. Wolverine's an interesting character in that you can go quite violent with it if you want, or you can do like quite a toned-down safe version. And I, you know, I, I don't know in a video game what people would want or expect. You'd imagine something relatively safe to sit alongside Spider-Man, but very hard to say. A lot of that character's attitude is quite hard to get right you know, in standalone things, as we've seen in the films. And you know, the only one that's ever nailed it as a standalone film took it in a very like dark edgy direction which i just don't really see them doing so two games we know nothing about that i am (laughs) interested in yeah i can't really think of many others to be honest james bond of course but another one really where we don't think about it so uh yeah on paper brilliant match uh, you know, io have been making great james bond games basically it's whether they sort of hold their nerve or feel the need to to simplify it for a more mainstream audience or is it enough to speak to the hitman fans who would just play a reskinned hitman i don't know i think it actually is looking apart from those games which i agree that are sort of unknown quantities in a lot of ways i, I do 
you know, Indiana Jones in particular is, you know, I just really, really want to see that. That and 007, actually, I'm just like, I hope they really nail those because there is so much potential. And you for know, podcast are... episodes, there's so much potential well, <laughs> for podcast episodes. Well, there's that, but also just that they are long dormant, but they used to be flourishing. You know what I mean? There used to be so many games for each of those um, licenses. And mm. now it's been like, decades really without without you know removed from that period so you know that is um that is one factor there i think that star wars does actually have a lot of potential sort of like outlaws i want to believe will be good even if i i thought the e3 demo just it just looked like a very familiar experience there's nothing wrong with it it looked very polished and as mentioned love the fucking fly from a planet into space thing that's still something that i you know really want to see in a game and makes me excited so that's cool not sure really when that quantic dream game is coming out not totally convinced that exists yet to be honest they announced that way too early as we've discussed before game announcements are basically now recruitment ads so Mm. that's basically what happened there i think uh (laughs) then there's also the fact that probably the next star wars game we'll end up playing will probably end up being the third jedi game because they're just really fast at making those and they are locked into that and they're they're really you know they they're they seem to know what they're doing with it, and they're still hiring people for that team. So that would suggest that they, that series has got another another entry to come, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, I think there's probably more we don't know about. There's also a first-person shooter that Respawn's making that is inspired by um, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight, which is totally my sort of thing. And also some former XCOM people are making a turn-based um, game as well. So lots, lots going on on that side. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I ever really get like... I don't think any of these things will seem exciting to me until they're like on my doorstep and then I'll be like fucking yes yeah. let's go if they look if they look good but I don't really sit around thinking I hope someone makes a game based on X I just think that when they do do it I'm just like well that is intriguing in the modern age to take a punt on such a thing you know so so yeah I uh wait and see basically Matthew mm. so Matthew should we take a quick break and come back with a draft let's do it back to the podcast so the draft part of this episode then the premise we're building a sort of mixtape of games there's a bunch of licensed games that will arrive in the post let's say on a switch (laughs) cartridge or something like that and you have to pick the best one there is there is a a twist to this though which i'll go into shortly so basically there are 10 categories here and well maybe this probably makes more sense to go through the categories first matthew then discuss the rules does that make sense go for it yep okay so category one movie tie-in Category 2, TV show tie-in. Category 3, 90 plus on Metacritic. Category 4, Guilty Pleasure. Category 5, Side-scroller or 2D game. Category 6, 90s favourite. Category 7, Bad License, Good Game. Quite proud of that category myself. (laughs) Category 8, Cursed. Category 9, The Coronation Street, The Mystery of the Missing Hot Pot Recipe Wildcard category. So basically it has to be uh, either the license is weird or they adapted it in a weird genre. Um, the classic wildcard category I've seen in many um, backpage pod episodes, uh, draft episodes. And category 10, free pick. I'll go through those once more before we start. But the rules here. So 
Movie and TV show tie-ins have to have tied directly into something. Arkham Asylum would not be eligible. That is not a tie-in of the Batman films. No, or the animated show. Like, is you know, links to them, absolutely, but not strictly a tie-in. So it has to be tied in for those categories. Otherwise, I think the uh, the categories could become too blurry. And um, the the other the twist here is the cursed uh, the cursed pick. That has to be something that's actually cursed. Like it, it the more successful a pick for that category is is based on how cursed the game is so the normal rules of quality do not apply so neither of us can try and go i don't know what would be a good example of this like well the rugrats game i mentioned for example i suppose you could pick that but it's not it's not mega cursed really apart from like how the babies look i suppose but we're not trying to smuggle a good game into that category exactly we are trying to basically you know we know that the the duff weird bad things are also part of the licensed game story and we want to reflect that in a, in a category i think that's also sort of true for what for a wild card yeah i guess so but i've actually well yeah i guess i guess that is true i don't know but, I, um, I that's that's what i've really struggled to think of anything good for yeah i've got i've got something quite good i think for that mm. one so yeah that's as long as you don't beat me to it but yeah uh okay so yeah so matthew any other thoughts on these categories in terms of how we've approached this i don't know if there's going to be a little bit of debate about what qualifies as a bad license for bad license good game right right you know, there's lots of things you could get in there if you honestly feel the license is bad yeah but no one's going to argue that you know like die hard is a bad license yeah so to be fair i feel like there still may be some debate about movie tie-in tv show tie-in at one end of the scale, you have, say, Aladdin, a direct scene-to-scene remake of a film. Right. At the other end of the scale, I'd say you have a lot of, say, Star Wars things which exist around the films, and I don't know if they count. Well, you know, your, your beloved Revenge of the Sith game, that would count. That would count, example. but, like, would Episode One Racer count? Yeah, yeah, because it ties into the film and it released at the same time as the what film. What about games? This is very hard without like <laughs> revealing any any thoughts. What about games that sit fill in the gap between films? What would that include? That's got to be a very small handful of things, right? So, uh, and is Enter the Matrix a movie tie-in? Yeah, yeah, because it came out the same time as the movies. I think that's that's fine. So, okay, yeah, okay, but well, I mean, we'll it- see. There may be like we'll see. <laughs> It depends how far removed it is from it as well. Like, I think there's, I think you kind of know a movie tie-in when it's in front of you. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I think, yeah, I think, I think also yeah. we should also depend on the other person to audit the pick a little bit yeah. and challenge it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's an element of that to this too. Okay, so yeah, okay, interesting. So yeah, I agree that some of this is tricky. I think that bad license, good game is actually like maybe the hardest category. Yeah. Like, there's only a few handful handful of picks to that one. Um, the wild card category is tough actually tougher than i thought it would be actually yeah kind of got there eventually and then yeah cursed is sort of like well take your pick really there's actually like hundreds of games you could pick for that one really but the one i've got is the one i considered the most cursed at the time so uh Mm. yeah Uh, okay so matthew shall we do the old coin flip decide who goes first yeah what do you fancy uh tails tails uh okay so how this works then so whoever well I, i get to pick whether I go first or second. If I go first, I get the first pick. If I go second, I get two picks before it reverts back to mm. Matthew. So that's how it works, really. It snakes for the first pick, basically. Mm. But before we get into that, I'll just read out the categories one more time. So category one, movie tie-in. Two, TV show tie-in. Three, 90 plus on Metacritic. Four, guilty pleasure. Five, side-scroller or 2D game. Six, 90s favourite. Seven, bad license, good game. Eight, cursed. Nine, wild card. 
10 free pick. And the uh, you'll be able to vote for the winner in the pinned tweet at BackpagePod on Twitter. The poll has been breaking a lot recently, but I still don't have a better solution to that for now. Sorry about that. I don't want it to be like a broken um, poll. That still requires you to have an account. So unfortunately, it's the best we've got for now. Okay, uh, so then, will I go first? I think I will go first, yeah. My first pick is going to be Category 1 Movie Tide, and I'm going to take Goldeneye. Okay. So... There are other things I thought about for this. I did think about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. But I think in terms of the ultimate movie tie-in, GoldenEye is that game really, in terms of a game that's specifically tied to one movie. It is better than the movie it's based on, really, if we're being honest. It sort of expands the the world of the movie. It, it, it takes like tiny scenes and blows them up into entire first-person shooter levels. You know, it's very front-loaded uh, in terms of the, I would say, the the best levels come near the start or right near the end. It's sort of like... How dare you cast shade on caverns? (laughs) (laughs) Some of those are really hard work on a a replay. And like it, you know, it's it's a very old game. It's one of the first, you know, good first-person shooters on console. So obviously it's dated in loads of ways. But as like tie-ins go, this was the the most coveted, you know, most wonderful thing to play and enjoy in the 90s. So... It has to go there, Matthew. What do you think of that as the first? Pick? I mean, yeah, it's a nice, it's really, it's a really clean pick. It makes me think I've got to come up with an equally clean pick rather than some bullshit that I was planning um, <laughs> for movie tie-in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, big nostalgia play. I know the listeners like it. Have the listeners replayed it recently? It doesn't matter. They like it. <laughs> Well, if you play it on Switch, you'll probably hate it because the controls are so confusing yeah. that you'll wonder what the hell's but, going on. In some ways, I think they're re-releasing it has debunked it a little bit, which is is tough. Yeah, but, uh, but it's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's a classic. It is indeed. So, what's your first pick, Matthew? For my first pick, for bad license, good game, I'm going to go Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay. That was That's the pick for that character. Yes! Yeah. Yes! Finally, a good pick! <laughs> it had to, <laughs> After like 20 drafts. It had to happen eventually. <laughs> Um, I I was really worried about this one because I thought you might argue that it was a good license or you might argue that I'd defended the license by picking it once as a guilty pleasure film no it's got Vin Diesel in it mate it's not good yeah the thing is (laughs) if this was an adaptation of Pitch Black you'd be on a flimsier ground because that film is is like semi-critically acclaimed but luckily this is like the only good bit of the Chronicles of Riddick kind of mixed media universe, a Starbreeze first person narrative adventure sort of puts you in the, you know, the body of Riddick in this in this prison. You have to escape from Butcher Bay, as the title suggests. But it's just one of the the most convincing or use of the first person perspective outside of just like a straight shooter, like the physicality of being in the prison, the boxing, the fighting in it is really, really solid. It's a really good use of Vin Diesel's kind of acting range, limited acting range. Um, <laughs> very, very desirable. As a non-Xbox owner, I was I was spitting with rage that I didn't get to play this back in the day. But um, yeah, when I finally played it on the 360 re-release, it uh, really held up. So... Bad license, good game. Yeah, in some ways, I think this is the Starbreeze category, and all the picks I have for this are either Starbreeze games or Starbreeze adjacent. Oh, interesting. I know that there are some bad comic book licenses out there, but I don't necessarily know what they are. I don't know if they are good or bad, or which. So you have a slight advantage on me in that. Maybe, but like, uh, I'm not going to come out here for the Spawn game, for example. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, this on Xbox. That's um, that's not going to happen. But yeah, I think that. I think the Chronicles of Riddick is a very clean pick for this category as well mm. because 
there is nothing else exactly like it and yeah it's it is wonderful it's so so good um so i'm guessing you're taking the assault on dark athena version so you get the the game and the, the oh extra yeah why not for it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay good glad to put it out but yeah uh an all-timer an all-timer i love that game so much it's a real shame it's lost the time because that license has surely got no value get that fucking thing on xbox series x now mm. that's what i say um okay my second pick uh for 90s favorite i'm gonna take blade runner oh that's a good pick i thought about that too yeah so uh, not not quite a, a straight adaptation of the film i think they refer to it as a sidequel in that it's taking place alongside um the events of blade runner it means you bump into lots of characters from the film you get to meet that guy who makes all the eyeballs <laughs> that eyeball guy remember him yeah. Yeah, great guy. A brilliant attempt to kind of capture the look of those films using pre-rendered backgrounds that were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it, it it's such a fun, clearly defined world to kind of work from and that they're able to kind of build that out and take you into places you don't get to see in the film but feel like they belong in the film. A very moody detective game in its own right. Do I actually love it as a... As a like a, a complete narrative experience it's got a slightly confusing structure in that uh, the time it takes to do stuff can can cause the story to branch and it's not always clear exactly how some of that works but as a blade runner experience it feels like the the real deal yeah it's a weird one this because i think it is sort of like it's stated in in the ways that I think all point and click games are kind of dated from the time, mm. but I think the look of it is extraordinary. Like it's a amazingly rendered yeah. sort of depiction of that world. And I think as well that since the game came out, the film's reputation has only really climbed yeah. in, in reputation too. So, and if you're looking for more to enjoy that is adjacent to Blade Runner, you basically have you know the uh, 2049 obviously with um from 2017 but then you also have this and there's not loads else yeah. besides that like other things to kind of get your teeth into so i agree this is good it's a shame that that um that redo they did didn't quite pan out the yeah. way people wanted but but you can play the original still on um on uh, gog or steam or whatever so it's 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 there. they should have done a side call to the sequel where you just follow like <laughs> what harrison ford's up to for the like runtime of that film just bumming around las vegas in that jeans and t-shirt yeah and got his um got that guy that guy who played him in uh fate of atlantis to do the voice Matthew. <laughs> yeah. he's pretty good yeah it'd be good oh, i was thinking about that film the other day actually because that's a that's a, a weird a weird one in the sense that i feel like i'm against everyone else in terms of how i feel about it, it just didn't do it for me that that apart from how it looked it actually felt a little bit I don't know. I thought the story itself was straight to DVD a little bit, oh, even if the film hmm. is the film. Like, there's nothing about the film that's straight to DVD. Like the way it's rendered, like the the you know the way the the city looks, how it's shot, obviously um, uh, by uh, Roger Deakins, and the how it sounds as well. Like all of that is amazing. But the plot, the idea of like there's a you know that Deckard's got a kid with Rachel, and then the Jared Leto thing, and then there's some like weird sort of faction who are like oh yeah we're in favor of the ai i just thought it was all quite yeah like just felt like a sort of i don't know sprint of the mind's eye we wrote a tie-in book that came out after the film sort of thing like i just there's something about it that doesn't feel authentic to me i can't explain why so that's a a weird one for Ooh. me but um yeah this this game on the other hand it actually like looks and feels like the film does so uh 
Yeah, um, perfect. Okay, right then. So back to me. I'm going to take Category 2 TV show tie and I'm going to take The Simpsons Hit and Run. Oh, okay. There were other games I considered for this, the South Park games, for example, because there are two of those. There's not necessarily the cleanest pick between them, I think, for a draft, because the first one's kind of considered better, but there is another one as well. I, I don't know. I couldn't quite unpick that in my head, but there is only one good Simpsons game, and it is, it is Hit and Run, and it's still not that good, <laughs> but it is... <laughs> but it is highly coveted. Um, last pick this, and probably last discuss this for our Xbox versus GameCube draft, one of the most tense episodes of this podcast, <laughs> um, because I just started working in PR, I was very nervous. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Well, it's, that, it's nice <laughs> that you can now run. celebrate this in a more relaxed episode. <laughs> yeah, The Simpsons Hit and Run is basically a GTA ripoff by Radical Entertainment, who would later go and do Prototype and um, Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction. They were big on the GTA, sort of like open world riffs. This one sort of like approximated the look and feel of The Simpsons quite well. It was, it, but but the, the main appeal was being able to drive around bits of Springfield for the first time. They had to geographically map out what this world looked like, and it was very appealing on that level. Even if I think it's sort of like it's 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 sort of like charms are limited by the fact that the game is quite annoying. It's quite annoying to drive around. Your cars blow up quite easily, and the sort of like Simpsons of it all does you know there are like loads of characters around they got the voice actors they got like a writer for the show matt selman to do the script so they did they did all of that there is the very cursed music that is not danny elfman music that is that is not so good or alf claus and rather but i do think that as a depiction of the simpsons and their world this is probably as good as it will ever get and i wouldn't be surprised if at some point they do a remake of this because there is a lot of built-in nostalgia for, for this game it sold an absolute ton of copies so on the list it goes. Thoughts, Matthew? I replayed some of this for the when we did the um, GTA clones on trial. Oh yeah, yeah. I get it. You know, you, you're you're a much bigger Simpsons head than than I. So, I, and I know that this is quite a um, treasured thing to said Simpsons heads. It, it was a little bit like punching robot bees <laughs> to to start off with. <laughs> It's 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 fun enough, but I I think it'll do well as a draft pick for TV show. It's actually quite a narrow field. Yeah, it's like definitely. There are there aren't there are not many there are many notoriously bad games that are based on TV shows. The likes of The Shield or whatever. Like there's you know or Miami Miami Vice. Yeah. But there aren't many out and out good ones. So it was yeah it was kind of it was between this and South Park and no others for me really. Um, I don't yeah so. Okay, interesting. So what's your next pick, Matthew? For 90-plus on Metacritic, I'll take Batman Arkham City. Interesting. Um, I would have taken my beloved Arkham Knight, but it didn't get a 90 on Metacritic. Because the Batmobile, mate. <laughs> because, pe- because idiots didn't understand the Batmobile. <laughs> no, they understood it. They understood it good and no, proper. No, they good. didn't get it. They didn't get it. But that's okay. It's okay. Misunderstood genius of um, Arkham Knight. Okay, this you know this isn't sort of tied into anything specifically other than the Batman license, but as a depiction of that world and what it's like to be Batman and stalking a, a really iconic range of villains. Arkham City's a, a, a proper action adventure masterpiece. Uh, I love the kind of Metroid element of it. I think the size of the city that you get to explore is is quite well judged in that it gets to feel very very sort of tightly designed and maintain that kind of metroidy complexity without kind of blowing out to like you know a giant sort of spider-man city where the city itself is just a backdrop and, and not as sort of meaningful um as a result you know mechanically so tight studio on top of its game people love arkham city did you really go with people <laughs> love it for the arkham games yeah they do That's love it like... i love it 
Well, I, I think this was the peak of my excitement around the Arkham series. Like when it, um, you know, I was, I was before Night came out. I thought, oh, this is going to be the one. Then Night came out, and I did love bits of it. But City, I think, just had the right balance of everything. The scale, um, mm. you know, it felt like a, it felt like a city, but it didn't feel like overwhelmingly large. It felt still, but it still felt like a real place. The the way the villains were used, I think, was probably. Well, actually, it's probably on a par with Arkham Knight and how the villains are used in that one, too, because that's got some cool side quests. But just love, like, the Mad Hatter stuff yeah. in this. And uh, we talked about the Mr. Freeze boss fight you don't like the bu- before. Yeah, the, um, the but... bust for me is him up in his tower. I just don't think he's very interesting. Every other part of it worked for me, though. I like the catacombs with the Ra's al Ghul stuff. Mm. And I think they just they just did a good job of making it feel like a more multi-layered setting, even though it still had some recognizable connections to Arkham Asylum. So it worked really well. Just love the step up in ambition. This was just playing this in like Christmas 2011. I was just like enraptured mm. by it. I just, I just adored it so much. I just thought, I can't believe they made a thing this good um, that ties into this character I love this much. So mm. well done, everyone. Um, yeah, hallmarks for good licensed games. So uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, good pick, Matthew. Okay, back to me then. Uh, going to take my free pick off the board, I think. I'm going to take Alien Isolation for Category 10 free pick one of the best horror games of the modern age and not strictly a movie tie-in an original story oh, that's, see, that's what I, that's the one i was thinking about i was going to ask would that have counted right i don't think it does because it's decades later and doesn't feature it's not really based on the movie it's sort of connected sort of like to the movie but is it canonical i don't really know it's sort of like you know what i mean it's it's in a weird ambiguity space aliens colonial marines would be the same deal not that you'd ever pick it obviously maybe you'd pick it in curse actually but it's not strictly based on that film it's yeah, yeah. um so yeah okay so creative assemblies first person horror game where a very powerful an ai powered alien basically pursues you through a number of different sort of like bits of a a larger space station essentially and in the midst of that they experiment with all kinds of different ways they can um they can fuck with you whether it's like uh sort of light coming in through the windows of the ship and therefore them using that to create sort of like shadows with the alien even like the geometry and the levels looking a bit like the xenomorph that was a really kind of cool touch the fact that they'd have like human npcs sometimes so you'd have to contend with the npcs as well as the alien so if they make a load of noise maybe that'll make the alien appear but if they if it does appear maybe it'll they can lure the alien away from you giving you very limited amounts of ammunition to deal with the alien so if you hit it with a flamethrower you can guarantee you'll get rid of it but you can only do that maybe two or three times and then you can no longer do that sometimes you'll see drool dropping from uh, a shaft and it's there waiting for you to kill you um, Mm. instantly just really fucking like amazing shit uh, frankly a very long game and i think that probably like if you're playing it now you might find some frustrations with how unpredictable the ai is i think that that is like one of the things that people raised at the time is you can't always know how it'll behave and therefore the game can sometimes feel unfair with the way it will psychically work out where you are i think that's like a criticism that i don't know if i hold against it but i understand why people feel that way about it if that makes sense but what an amazing looking bit of alien paraphernalia this is just worthy of the films and that's that's saying something. It's kind of it's kind of why it was sort of eyeing it up and toying with it for movie time. Just because if you know the story behind this game and the people who worked on this game, you know they embedded themselves so much in the film. It's as close as you'll get to the the films as any of these alien games ever would. It just doesn't happen to be about specifically alien one and there's the dlc set on the original ship right so that's kind of, that's kind of closer but anyway it's off the board now and i gotta i gotta live i gotta deal with that <laughs> yeah that's your burden yeah. to bear um so what's your next pick matthew oh god 
I've only got shit for wildcard. I think that's the one I'm going to play last. Just because I'm struggling to think of a really good one. For movie tie-in, uh, I'm going to take The Warriors. Oh, okay. That is a, that's a really good pick. Yeah, so obviously really it doesn't release at the time of The Warriors, you know, a good 40 <laughs> years later. But in a similar way to like Alien Isolation is a very comprehensive love letter to both the content of a film and the look and vibes of the film to actually kind of capture the visual style, the world of the Warriors. Obviously, this gang trying to escape lots of other gangs. This game pads the story of the Warriors out, gives you um, a bit more kind of context around it, so offers everything the film has and more. We've talked about this. This has been drafted a few times before. It's a bit of a a draft favourite, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mainly because I think it also represents like a, a really fun part of Rockstar's history of... A, a very film literate or a certain era of film literate publisher and just interesting to see them connect with that directly and make a direct piece of you know a, a, a game that ties into direct piece of film history rather than kind of vaguely parodying it through Grand Theft Auto you know I'd, I'd love to see this kind of a, approach to film tie-ins more you know there's so many great films which if you you know and and you do see a little bit like I, by all accounts that new RoboCop game has a bit of that energy of like clearly made by people who just really dig and get the look and sound of the film and kind of capture it but um yeah this one this one gets extra points for being the the literal story of the film yeah that's my fucking Christmas game jam right there RoboCop I just got to sat there <laughs> Rogue City fucking sat there installed in the Epic Games press account that's we're absolutely um doing that with a bunch of eggnog on uh, on Boxing Day. <laughs> Um, yeah, so good, good pick. I think it's um, the Warriors is just a game I love. It's it's a great brawling yeah. game that uses the that is built on the bones of the old PS2 GTA's, of course, in terms of the you know Rockstar sort of like technology and how those games felt. But the brawling is actually like really nicely done. Um, obviously, you have the built-in film thing of like all the different gangs who are represented really nicely throughout the game. But instead of just seeing them in the background like you do in the film, basically, and then the the film moves on because it's a very momentum-based. Mm it's a quick quick film it's just there's a bunch of them they encounter along the way um and then like uh before they get to coney island and that's that's the whole film here it's like the background of who the warriors are you join the gang they get into all these different fights beforehand and then the i think the last third of the game is basically the film so great tie-in and yep it is a draft favorite i'm sure it'll be drafted again at some point um yeah love it uh okay cool that's a really good pick so i'm gonna take my 90 plus on metacritic matthew i'm gonna take marvel spider-man 2 your favorite (laughs) 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 look i've had a very testing couple of months right and spider-man 2 had to pay the price in the midst of that but i think i have to represent spider-man in some capacity in this list because it's such a key part of like licensed game history the journey of them getting it right and wrong uh wrong many times in activision's case but you know it's sort of like they got there eventually and like did really i really love that ps1 game as we as we mentioned it was just sort of like had a great sort of 90s comic book vibe um really really cool for the time and just seeing that character and being able to swing around the city in 3d you know even a very limited way was super super cool um brought in a bunch of different marvel characters from other places too then obviously you jump forward in time there's a slightly naff uh, first treyarch game on ps1 uh, ps2 of the uh toby Maguire films you're like well 
There's some potential here, but it's all indoors Spider-Man <laughs> bits. No one wants those. Get to Spider-Man 2 in 2004 and they fucking boss it, but there's still bits of the game that don't work complete- that well, like the combat and the side missions and stuff. They don't, and the boss battles, they're weaker where the swinging is fantastic and, you know, it otherwise gives you the Spider-Man fantasy you want. Fast forward years later, 2018, Insomniac, really nail it just get the feel of it right the combat's pretty good as well and the story is fantastic they get the angle right and then spider-man 2 this year just refines that this has this has a clean 90 on metacritic and i think of all the different superhero games to pick this probably makes the most sense because freshest in the memory it's the most refined it's a very comprehensive vision of spider-man's world and yeah just uh i think even though i didn't love all of the side content in it and wish the boss battles had fewer phases or maybe didn't have phases at all and i'd put that parry back in the box i don't think that should have been in the game um (laughs) everything else about it was um was pretty great so i don't i don't mind having it here matthew um what do you think? yeah i mean i it's it's my my favorite of the insomniac games it had the right balance of scale and spectacle wrap it all up in 30 hours for 100 percent completion if you want which is, feels about right to me. Really liked the setup of the story and the definitely the pacing of the first two acts. I thought was a, a, a really nice take on the Venom story. I think it's slightly weak in the actual Venom bit at the end. Accelerates towards the end quite quickly, but uh, yeah, and and also just a, looks absolutely amazing. Cutting edge open world, beautiful lighting. Uh, yeah, really impressive. Mm, yeah, good stuff. So. Yeah, I sort of like. Yeah, I guess I think Arkham will probably have a slightly more nostalgia vibe to people than this, but um, maybe. But this is, you know, it's a good ass game from this year, so it's all good, my friend. What's your next pick? For guilty pleasure, I'm gonna take X Men Origins Wolverine. That's a good pick. Guilty pleasure in that it can't be too good, and this game, <laughs> it's only just good, I'd say. It barely gets there, really. Ba- yeah, but like uh, as a kind of. God of Wary kind of clone, you know, 3D third person brawler. What I liked about this is it took the incredibly anemic X-Men Origins Wolverine film and basically treated it like it was an 18 rated violent game with what if Wolverine was soaring up men with his claws and blood was going everywhere. It's got a really nice visual effect where the more damage Wolverine takes, it kind of chips away his flesh and reveals his adamantium skeleton underneath. So he's like a kind of gory walking health bar for himself, which I like. Like how this came to be and how like Raven were allowed to make a very violent tie-in to quite a soft peak, like 12 rated film or PG-13, I guess in the States. Um, I don't know, but as like a cheap and nasty kind of curio, I th- I think this this scores some points for that. This is the kind of thing which, if I'd been 12 or 13 when it came out and had watched the bad Wolverine film, I would have been desperate for like an older brother or older friend to have bought this for me in game. This would have been a much desired thing. It kind of fits into the sort of salacious Mortal Kombat Soldier of Fortune kind of category of... <laughs> of uh, you want it because you know you're not meant to have it it'd be nice if it was actually a, a, a more accomplished fighting game underneath it but uh it, it will do as a guilty pleasure i think it's a great guilty pleasure because you know let's face it when they do marvel you know mcu marvel is never ever going to make a, a film like logan again really it's all going to be like 12a products to sell to families because that's what they that's what they make now and so this does feel like it's a bit out of time doesn't it mm. it's sort of like it is so violent strangely so um but it is it is fun despite being like nowhere near best in class of those of third third person action games from the yeah. time it's sort of like 
yeah, it's a it's the classic seven out of ten, yeah. really. So yeah, I think it's um I think it's a good pick for for this particular category. Lots to pick for this category, I think. It's actually quite an interesting mm. one. Um yeah, so uh yeah, it's a good big Sammy pandemic era purchase that one. I thought that might be one you wanted. I it kind of what I think is I've got I got four different games written down for that category and I can't decide which one to pick. It's actually interesting. like it's hard. It's hard. Nineties favorite is another one where I've got like four different games, and I'm like, oh, which of these? They're all good angles, yeah. but which is the right one? It's like in some ways there are some categories that are competitive. There are only a few that you really want to get off the board, and then some yeah. where, which are wide open. And it's a and it's a, the art of curation, isn't it? It's tricky. All right, then. So it's back to me, isn't it? Um, for side scroller or two D game, I'm going to take my beloved Astro Boy Omega Factor on yeah. Game Boy Advance thought about the old turtles in time for this one or the other turtles game they did last year shredder's revenge but that didn't even make a big enough impression on me to put it in my game of the year list last year i thought it was it was nice it was a very a beautifully well, don't slag it but... off because it may get drafted yeah <laughs> well i know you're not gonna pick a way forward game because you know how you feel about those matthew so that's they're out so pick up you know picked a side scrolling game by uh by treasure the you know absolute all-timer you know sort of shoot 'em up devs and this game is an adaptation i think of the the manga and also i guess like the there's an anime based on the manga it's either way it looks and feels exactly like the the manga does and it is a retelling of parts of that story and i've d- definitely talked about this before but this is one of the best game boy advance games of how it looks it's just a really beautiful looking shooter where you're going through like the futuristic cities and uh, kind of like all kinds of different sort of like gorgeous environments with lovely pixel art in the, in the sort of background and um, characters who are animated wonderfully but the the twist of it is you have to finish it multiple times to see everything you'll only see some of the story your first time through and at the end of the first story you lose it's like a a big like sort of like a, basically like a sort of fire like everything's on fire and it says like the end and you're like oh shit that's that's depressing and then it's built into the plot that you go back in time and try and fix things basically so really nicely done and that involves going through like new levels and filling in gaps of levels that were missing finding hidden characters to build up this larger story and lead to the lead to you actually like winning to, to this overall win state but it's also just a cool game about you playing a little robot lad where you like burn through loads and loads of robots using big beams and attacks that spin in different directions and all kinds of cool shit with amazing power-ups along the way just like a, a you know a, a, a real treasure <laughs> um just uh <laughs> an absolute favorite of mine all these years later i've been playing it on the naughty Ambernic device and it still holds up it's really really fucking good all treasure games hold up really though don't they they're just yeah. um they're pretty timeless so uh yeah you ever played this one, Matthew, I can't remember. Yes, uh, I'm mainly in preparation for the long overdue Game Boy draft. That's about as far <laughs> as my prep's gone. <laughs> That's cool. So, how have you? Um, how did you find it? Did you think it lived up to the hype that I'd given it? It's like a like a more approachable skin, I guess, on like a scrolling shooter. It is gorgeous, yeah. uh, even with no connection to Astro Boy. It's like just very, very charming, very winning. That's how I feel about it as well. I don't, I don't know anything about Astro Boy as evidenced by my. Um, failing to really talk about the manga in any meaningful I've, way. I've been but, watching um, that Pluto on Netflix. Oh, I've heard that's good. Yeah, which is the like the it's based on an Astro Boy story. I know fuck all about Astro Boy, so I don't know how how different it is. I'm guessing very different because it's like hour long episodes where robots kind of debate the philosophical quandaries of whether they're alive or dead, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know if this was Astro Boy's vibe. <laughs> that, that wasn't covered in Omega Factor right. anyway on GBA. <laughs> yeah, long text sections. That wasn't. Uh, is it good? I've I've been thought thought about watching it. Yeah, it, it's good. I mean, it's it's uh, old Mister Twentieth Century Boys and uh, Monster Urus, Urusawa, cerebral adult 
manga slash anime. Mm, interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'll get that watched after Scott Pilgrim. It'd be a nice contrast, yeah. I think. Uh, okay, good. So that's my pick, Matthew. What's your next mm. one? Pure nostalgia play for side-scroller 2D game. Uh, I'm going to take Aladdin on the Mega Drive. Will this work? Do other people have nostalgia for this? But I wanted to have something from this era of games where a lot of effort was put into making things which looked into our eyes at the time you know like you were playing the film obviously it's a bit more rudimentary now but um uh, still gorgeously animated game check it out on youtube you can sort of you know see the way they've captured some of the character quirks from the films follows the film quite closely has delightfully mega drivey takes on the soundtrack you know that particular sort of sound chip blipping and blooping away more of a of a nod to an entire era of decent 2D platformers. I could have also taken Quackshot. I could have taken Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck in the Forest of Illusion. Is that what it's called? Castle? Well, there was two. There was another one. Maybe it was World oh, of Illusion. Yeah. It's the kind of co-op-y one I played with my brother a lot, but they were made by Sega. So they just, they were very handsomely made games. And I find that every once in a while, someone will try and do one of these throwbacks, like Wave Forward, or someone will try and do a kind of 2D you know, there was like an, I think there was a 2D Epic Mickey 2 game, which I didn't think much of. There's that one at the moment, which is like Mickey Mouse. It looks a bit like that Speedrunners game. 2D, quite sparse environments with like 2D animation on and um, just looks quite charmous and grim. And and even like when they remake DuckTales or whatever, it, it, these things just don't hold up in the modern day. But um, as a as like a relic of a certain time, I'm... I'm happy to include it. Not as cool as Astro Boy, admittedly, but whatever. Yeah, I sort of like, it was tricky because I think Turtles probably was the other pick, but I get the sense you're not mega passionate about that either. It may still be picked. Oh yeah, that's true actually. So uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think there's like a, a weird balancing you have to do here of like, of nostalgia plays versus actual good games. And it ends up going all over the place really, as evidenced by my picks, going from, you know, the immaculate... Marvel Spider-Man 2 and Alien Isolation to the Simpsons hit and run so it's uh, it's tricky out there man okay let's get 90s favourite off the board oh there's, I've got two paths here well I've got three paths really three things are weighing up I've got Die Hard Trilogy TIE Fighter Alien vs Predator 1998. You've already got Alien 2. You don't need more Alien on there. No, I probably don't, but they're very different. That's the thing. It's got three It's got three campaigns, Matthew. Yeah, but like, but you you know that people who don't know the games will just see two Alien games and be like... You just know that irritating people on Twitter and Discord are going to be like, too much Alien in Sam's. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> irritating people on Discord. Even though you've only got two picks, they'll be like, too much Alien, and you'll get annoyed by that. <laughs> yeah, that is a very accurate prediction of what's going to happen. <laughs> So you've got Die Hard Trilogy, which I think is like the first, I think the first, I think it's probably not held up in any way, shape or form as, as a game experience, but is unlike any other licensed game in terms of the license they picked. Just, you know, what if we just did like 80s slash 90s movies as the the basis of a trilogy of games in different genres? That's look That looks good in a draft list, but... I've got no. I don't think I'm going to pick another Star Wars game, so I'm going to take. I'm going to take Tie Fighter instead, okay. and it's a chance for me to finally fucking pick that in a draft because me losing out on that is obviously a famous moment from this podcast. Oh, only it's one of my favourite PC games. So <laughs> yeah, uh, lies. Tie Fighters are the bad ones, right? <laughs> you piece of shit. Uh, yeah, um, 
So, <laughs> TIE Fighter, yes, you do indeed play as the Empire in this. It is told from the Empire's point of view. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of like... It, it is a very compelling look at what it's like to be the bad guys. The mission design is also a lot better than it is in X-Wing. It's just... It pushes that series along in a bunch of ways. And it arguably never gets as quite as good as this again. I mean, you might be able to make a case for X-Wing, X-Wing Alliance but um, or X-Wing versus TIE Fighter if you were playing online at that time. But for that single player... What does it feel like being the Empire feeling? There's just nothing else like TIE Fighter. And it does hold up because no one really makes uh, games like this anymore, um, obviously, because they've, well, the squadrons happened, but it's not really the same thing. There's just something so pre-Disney Star Wars about TIE Fighter. It's just, it's just like, it's straightforward. It's like, you know, you're sort of like, you're working for this, you know, for the em- for the Emperor, basically, just this shadowy, you know feeling of like this kind of grim meritocracy and the feeling that you're flying in these pieces of metal that could be tore out of the sky if you're not the very very best and you can't sort of like take it basically and just at the same time that the way that the, the ships like look and feel in the cockpit just spot on really tie fighters is a fucking classic so that is the one i will pick but it's it, it wasn't easy mm. matthew so uh yeah what's your next pick mm. that coronation street category is so hard uh <laughs> Getting something good in there is really hard. I still haven't really thought of one. I'm just desperately... I'm hoping that you'll pick one and then it'll inspire me. For free pick, where do we stand on the Witcher games? So I think that... Here's how I feel about it, right? Because I thought about this too. Because you could pick... You could fill this list, really, with, you know, Baldur's Gate or Planescape Torment. And those kind of like D&D games, right? That's one angle you can take. I suppose in my head, I thought... The spirit of the draft is sort of going for more of the movie TV show sphere of stuff. You know what I mean? Like this that's why I haven't picked the Metro games either. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, of... That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well but but I'm not but they are licensed games. So I can't I suppose while while I haven't necessarily picked with that in mind, I I do think they count. So I will I will allow it, my friend. I will allow mm. it. Also, I do have one book adaptation I'm probably going to take. So if that if that helps to um, oh, recently interesting. Else, I might as well be transparent instead of like talk, talking you out of your own picks. Listen, I'm going to put I'm going to put it to the the voters. I'm going to let them decide whether this this falls within the rules. I'm going to I'm going to take the the Witcher Three Wild Hunt uh, as an adaptation of the the Witcher books. Obviously, it's a story of their uh, their own telling and devising, but I think it's true to the spirit of the witcher books in that all the witcher games kind of feel like episodes from Geralt's life you know you kind of drop in there they've always framed by dandelion telling the story of the game at some future point like he's relaying the tales that gives the games like a slight sort of literary feel and that you just kind of turn up and see what adventure awaits you also just the structure of the witcher and the character of Geralt what's done in the books is very well suited to games in that he is this person for hire you know he wanders the land he can get into any story that basically hires him to be involved with it and the game follows that as well it obviously has a central storyline about the coming of the wild hunt that you're dealing with but what most people you know remember and really love about this game are the amazing side quests and the side contracts you know which end up being substantial quests in their own right as you kind of wander into these little towns find out what ails them get involved with like the small cast of characters there probably get pulled into a moral quandary or two and and have a pretty amazing 
dense adventure in a couple of hours and then you move on to chipping away at the main quest and so that's why i think the sort of particularly in three like the strength of it being open world is it is it allows you to kind of live that traveling lifestyle a bit better than than the other two even though they also have a sort of episodic nature to them which which lets them mimic the books if it feels redundant to talk about like the look and and sort of feel of the world in a way in that this is like a weird a weird license in that it probably defines what many people think of when they think of the witcher now um like if you read the books i certainly you know i i hear doug cockle's voice and i think of that particular character model Sometimes I think of Big Geralt just because that's been ruined for me by PC Gamer. <laughs> so if you feel that's that's too flimsy as a licensed game, then so be it. Don't vote for my collection, but it's it's a really <laughs> good game. I was also toying with Baldur's Gate 3 for this as a Dungeons & Dragons licensed game, but more people like The Witcher and cynically I, I want your votes. Do more people like The Witcher even now? Baldur's Gate 3 is the bell of the ball this year, but The Witcher 3 is, a, I'd say, a much a much more substantial thing that people are into. I think Baldur's Gate 3 is better, but I think The Witcher 3 is more popular. I would do literally anything to never see a tweet again about how much people fancy Astarion or whatever. Like, honestly like some of the worst tweets of the year that's the annoying thing it's like this year everyone's gotten really excited about Baldur's Gate 3 a game I really love but they've they've got excited about it in the same bullshit ways they get excited (laughs) about everything it's more about like what does this game let me say about myself and how thirsty I am for people in general and you're like thank you for that the internet not to sort of shame people out of you know what they like but I think like there's no good version of being horny online (laughs) but I just no offense but it just isn't well that's why this is not a horny podcast well indeed but also like as we discussed it is performatively horny yeah it's like is this actual horniness or is this just you know an engagement engagement yeah like I don't don't fancy anyone in in Baldur's Gate 3 like they're all fucking nightmares you'd have a bad time with any of them like the stuff you'd have to work through the only person who's like tolerable is my own incredibly middle of the road fence sitter of a hero who I custom made (laughs) it's like he's the only fucking reasonable person in that world I I don't think there's a single game character I even thought about fancying this year. This year, I think they were going to say ever. <laughs> well, see it more as colleagues, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, uh, <laughs> just sort of like, you know, they're sort of people I go to work with. So yeah, I don't know. Because you sort of play as a character as well. They're that character's partner, not yours, you know? It's like yeah, that person exactly. is Commander Shepard's girlfriend. It's not my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, in 2009, I was in the headspace of Yvonne Strahovski will be my girlfriend <laughs> right. at all costs. Like that. I've been there. But these days, I don't know if that's where I'm at necessarily. But like, if you'd done like... all that thirsty stuff back then, everyone would have called you a pig. So it's just like how <laughs> things have changed. Well, I did, and they were right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... it's... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, I think of like, I was playing Spider-Man 2 and I was like, Mary Jane, incredibly beautiful portrayal of Mary Jane. Sort of looks a bit like uh, Alexandra Daddario. They're sort of giving her that sort of look a little right. bit. But I'm not really there thinking, I fancy Mary Jane. So, like, oh, it's nice. Peter and MJ seem nice together. Do you know what I mean? That's what a nice partnership. Good for them. Yeah. You know, there's no, th- there's no thirst factor involved, really. So, uh, yeah. This is not a thirsty uh... podcast. <laughs> Indeed. We're just not, that's just not where we're at. Um, okay. So back on track then. So I've got, a, I've got a, I'm going to take category nine, the kind of hell category, the oh, world okay. category. I'm going to take Parasite Eve, Matthew. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So just to be clear, this isn't like I thought of the game, then thought of the category. I actually thought of the category and then thought, oh, this is actually quite challenging. I tell you what I did think about, actually. I thought about um, Virtual Springfield because I think that is quite a kind of like oddball uh, sort of like way to 
to to you know give you a portrayal of the Simpsons world. It barely counts as a game, really. It's sort of more of a interactive desktopy thing, but it had like original Simpsons stuff in it. But instead, I'll go for Parasite Eve, which is kind of like a a sort of unusual survival horror RPG take on a book where it's sort of like there are some characters from the book in it, but it's otherwise an original Squaresoft story from the um I talked about it on a what we've been playing episode this year. I got about halfway through it and thought it was pretty good. And it sort of it looks very visually similar to Final Fantasy VIII, which is why I found it very appealing. Um PS1 game. And basically yeah, it amounts to I would say like a slightly resident evil presentation in terms of the survival horror, but the actual combat ends is is turn based, so you you kind of move around in real time, but then you pause to take actions. Pretty good game, pretty cool game. Sort of a bit of a cult object. Thought it was a slightly unusual sort of pick for a wild card category, Matthew. Mm. So uh, yeah, here it goes. Any thoughts on that one? It did actually cross my mind, but only because I have the book, but I haven't played the game. I thought, oh, I wonder, and I thought, nah, maybe too niche, or I don't think I could pull it off or <laughs> argue the case for the game. But um, you have played it. And uh, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a pretty good fit. Yeah, I put in the work. You know, I went onto the yeah. Play Play Asia. I got the US dollars um, for PSN. I put it into my dummy US PSN account. I fucking did the homework. So uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, what's your next pick? The TV show tie-in. I hate it when I pick something that you've already dunked on. <laughs> Sorry about that. I feel like you've just gone. You've just gone ahead, scattering fucking <laughs> landmines everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm tiptoeing through them. <laughs> But it's still a good pick. It's still a good pick. I'm going to take Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge for this. Okay. I didn't play this last year. I actually played this recently. We were doing some stuff on co-op games at work and I needed to play a bit of it. I'm kind of taking this as a representative of a certain sort of genre of licensed games, which was the the side-scrolling brawlers. There were other Turtles arcade machines you could have taken. There were the classic Konami, was it the Simpsons one as well back in the day? Like, games that you played at swimming pools after your swimming lesson is is my kind of relationship to this genre. What I liked about this is that I actually thought it did sand off some of the slight rough edges that you sometimes get in these beat-em-ups. Just in terms of, like, fuller movesets slightly more interesting mechanics with like the way the specials work that you could kind of charge it up and bank it i liked just the visual humor of the way the foot soldiers would come in like they're often in the background doing funny things and then kind of get pulled into the fight clearly a lot of love for the genre it has a direct connection to the show it has the voices of the the original voices of the turtles in it sometimes can be a cursed move that when people boast about doing that because a lot of these voice actors are like quite old now sound quite different see the infamous way forward DuckTales remake where <laughs> the voice of Scrooge McDuck was made like deathbed when they recorded him um yeah and... that, that was a joke I made for this one if you remember where there's a bit where one of them goes I am one tired turtle turtle yeah. and it sounded like a 70 year old man <laughs> yes that. that's right so um tired it may be but uh it seemed exciting to my thumbs so um TMNT <laughs> Shredder's Revenge uh on the list it goes yeah okay so that is a i think that is a good pick i enjoyed this game a lot i think it presentation is incredible and i do hope that because i think it is like some former scott pilgrim versus the world people who did this this right. this game i hope their next thing is 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 like simpsons or something like that like that'd be really really cool if they um if they explored that so uh so yeah here's here's a question for some things i didn't pick because i didn't think they'd be allowed right the walking dead I think I would have allowed that, the Telltale one. Yeah, because it has one bloke in from the TV show. <laughs> oh, I think it... Actually, I think that might be based on the comic books, that one. But so, it has the TV show guy coming into it. 
Right, but isn't it the same character from the comic books? Which, which yeah, character but it's, it's voiced by the same guy as the TV show. Oh, that is ambiguous then, isn't it? But anyway, I didn't pick that because I thought, you know what, I think that is comic book, right? You know, it looks like the comic books rather than the TV show. Whatever. I think that's what Free Pick is for as well. Um, yeah. Bit, yeah, the other one I wondered about, and it, like a whole thing we haven't gone down to, was licensed sports games. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking about uh, WWF No Mercy in the N64. I think I would have allowed that because I just don't care about wrestling games, you know? But yeah. again, I also feel like our audience probably doesn't care enough, but, um, you know, I thought that was me trying to be kind of clever. If something had gone horribly wrong, I had that in my back pocket. Um, oh, yeah. But let the three wrestling fans of this podcast know that I do recognise it as a good game, so respect me and vote for me <laughs> amazing not at all a crass uh, attempt to what you garner. just said you didn't care about wrestling are they gonna vote for that guy <laughs> well no i but i even even i would acknowledge that wcw versus nwo revenge was a was a classic um my friend donald had that we played a bunch of that even though i don't, I don't really understand wrestling i sure grappled some lads in that one that was uh yeah grapple i sure lad locked a guy off a ladder in a in a famous famed ladder match Exactly. That's what we'll do at the live show is me and Matthew will just have a ladder match. That'll be our like uh that'll be like the thing that sort of sees out the whole event. So uh <laughs> look forward to that next year. Um okay, so uh right. Interesting. And who's to say I'm not gonna pick a wrestling game for one of these categories, Matthew? So mm. right then, so guilty pleasure. I don't think I can get away with Space Marine. I don't think the Warhammer lads would allow me to do that. Because it is quite a it's a beloved enough game that it got a sequel. It is one Metacritic point above X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, I don't know if it is considered a guilty pleasure. What what's your take on that one? When you said it, I thought, Oh, that sounds too good. But yeah. it is like the Metacritic thing on Wolverine, that, that 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 changes things a little. Like I feel like you could you could argue its case on, on, on that ground. I wouldn't uh, as as you were uh, generous to me with which uh, I will um, I won't kick up a stink whether the voters can be trusted who knows mm. yeah I think I don't think it quite fits the profile of the category enough okay. myself like I, I really I really like Space Marine and I'm really excited about uh, the second one so what you've just done there is what I did with the wrestling you've established <laughs> that you like a certain sub-faction of our listenership so that they vote for you regardless of whether or not you pick a game in that sub-faction <laughs> I'm not that bothered about Let winning it this also one be though known that I love <laughs> <laughs> lists every license yeah, yeah metro exodus great game um no it's sort of like uh, yeah i've just sort of talking about my thought process and also trying to name check some games that don't come up basically because yeah. i do think space marine is one of the yeah like one of the great seven out of tens and the, the sequel looks really good so okay two more sort of like shortlisted games that didn't make the, the cut 007 nightfire um is a game i played relentlessly in multiplayer i've talked about that before thought about that Thought about my beloved Shadows of the Empire, but we've got TIE Fighter ticked, and Matthew has dunked on Shadows of the Empire far too much for this pod for me to pick that. Yeah. So, a true guilty pleasure is The Matrix Path of Neo. It yeah. is all three films retold, minus Keanu Reeves. They still got my guy, uh, Larry Fishburne, though he's still in the cast. Good. <laughs> um, and allows you to play all of the set pieces that enter the matrix didn't let you play because they boxed you into some boring stuff that was a, a side side story to the main to the main films this is the full thing you get your lobby fight in fact that might even be the tutorial the lobby fight it's for certainly very early on you get your burly brawl you get fighting loads of agent smiths all that kind of stuff that you wanted to do 
in the first game but you weren't allowed to do they finally did it after the matrix had come and gone and when the license was extremely sort of like passe i would say like the the feeling after revolutions was very much like fuck these films i think that was kind of the vibe for a little while now i think we can look back and be like the matrix is obviously one of the best sci-fi films ever made and the sequel reloaded's kind of good got some got some great set pieces revolutions is a pile of ass so that's sort of like where things have landed and that's fine but the matrix path of neo i think like one of those things where if you had any interest in those films you just had to see their attempt to do those set pieces in a game and sometimes they land the plane sometimes they don't so i think it's a good pick for guilty pleasure on that basis thoughts matthew very coveted like as a as a similar you know, Matrix loving boy, um, looking at pictures of this in the magazines and going, oh my God, it's everything the end the Matrix promised to be, but wasn't. Yeah, I, I never picked this up, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fall for that trick. But um, I think this is this is perfect guilty pleasure territory. Fantastic. So, what's your next pick? Is this your last pick? No, I've got two more. I've got the two shitty categories that I hate. <laughs> oh, I just haven't. Like, the thing with the Coronation Street, the mystery of the missing hot pot recipe wildcard <laughs> category. <laughs> Is that, which I'll remind you, is either the license is weird or they adapted it in a weird game. For, for weird licenses, I was thinking about times where people have made weird games based on bands or musicians. You're not going to go for fucking Guitar Hero Aerosmith, are you? No, 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 not, <laughs> no, not like that. No, as in, like, there was a terrible sort of survival horror game based on the music of Queen. Oh right, was there? I don't know this game called Queen the Eye, but it, it, that never it, happened. You made that up. No, no, ge- genuinely. Like, look it up. It's got like the puzzles what? of Mist. It's got the fixed camera angles of Resident Evil. I think some of the storyline from it became the storyline for We Will Rock You. It's like a dystopian sci-fi survival puzzle game. <laughs> what the fuck? Set to remixes of Queen tracks. <laughs> How did my dad not have this game? It's the most him thing I've ever seen. Oh my god! I've not played it. I've only read about it. It felt like it felt like a, a suitably weird thing. I feel after you pick Parasite Eve, I feel I need to try and get something that I actually like in here. Right? Would you accept the, the Star Wars pinball tables and pinball FX? You know what? It did cross my mind. Yeah, go for it. In which case, I'm taking the <laughs> uh, pinball FX Star Wars pinball pack, specifically the Empire Strikes Back table, which I was genuinely obsessed with when I was on official Nintendo, mainly because they were fuckle games on Wii U. They kept releasing these pinball packs on pinball FX, and I really liked the Empire Strikes Back table. Because if you activate the right things, Darth Vader pops out of the table and, like, force crushes a ball. I was never very good at it. You can ask Joe Screbs this, because I sat next to him playing this a lot. The way the table works is that you're kind of working through the story of Empire Strikes Back by lighting up different bonuses and things. But because I was never very good at it, I only ever got along the first few steps of every quest line. So imagine someone, like, replaying the first half hour of Empire Strikes Back as a pinball table, like, just the Battle of Hoth again and again and again and again <laughs> that is like a perfect snapshot of me in whenever it was 2013 2014 if you ever listen to the old official nintendo podcast you'll know that i picked this as one of my 10 games of the year this is not a new bit of bullshit this is this is very true i like pinball tables i like it when people try and smash down a, a two-hour narrative into a load of weird score multipliers and a few ramps i think that's an inherently daft thing to attempt star wars everyone everyone loves it <laughs> oh, <people laughs> so love it. <laughs> uh, so why not why not uh pinball fx uh, empire strikes pack <laughs> i've really grown into liking pinball tables i've gotten older actually like they i think just the the intricate construction of them 
and just like as a kid i thought whenever i walked into like an arcade i've definitely mentioned this before i had a french holiday where i walked into an ar- arcade they had marked on the campsite map and it had a pool table and the star trek next generation pinball table and nothing else and i was like that's oh. not an arcade that should be illegal to call that an arcade but um the older i've gotten the more i actually really love like 90s arcade sort of pinball tables you know like just the the voice clips the li- the licenses they riff on are sometimes so strange um yeah the dark knight you've done the dark knight one the 2008 dark knight um, oh i haven't table. Really. that's really fucking good there's uh, one i think nq64 and cardiff's got that one and that just this it's just really cool it's got like the tumbler and it's got all these different like the Heath Ledger Joker pops up and stuff, but yeah. Did you have more pinball thoughts, Matthew? Uh, only that uh, we used to go on a ho- Easter holidays over to Southwold, and uh, Southwold Pier had an arcade, and my dad could uh, used to play the Star Wars Next Generation pinball table there. Long memories of um, standing by the side of that pinball t- table, enraptured by my my dad's pinball prowess. Uh, <laughs> used to play for so long, like when they closed the arcade, they'd give you your credit back. They'd be like, here, just have 20p and come back tomorrow because, you know, this game's not going to wrap up anytime soon. That one was all about collecting the crystals, the dilithium crystals. Oh, um, wow. I remember, the, the yeah, and like teleporting up different members of the crew. The, the only kind of like ludicrously expensive thing that I might I might buy at some point is a, is a nice pinball table. Like I know I've got peers who sometimes buy arcade cabinets and that does like nothing for me. Like, I would not want one of those things in my house. But a pinball table, like a proper decent one, like the Star Trek one or... Indiana Jones, doesn't that have Indiana a Indiana Jones. One? We had one in our college uh, common room, which was uh, Medieval Madness, which is quite a famous one. It's got voice acting by a very young Tina Fey in it, weirdly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to have a proper beautiful pinball machine i think they're quite hard to like fix and things like that though if they go wrong it's the only problem a sweet memory about your uh your dad yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna remember that on your deathbed that's gonna be one of the things that flashes before your eyes along with recording like the um the n64 draft with me and me taking goldeneye i think martin on n gamer magazine martin kitts had a adams family pinball table all right but i think it was i think he said it was broken and it was very mm. hard to fix and that's why that's stuck in my head as a thing because while having a pinball table would be absolutely amazing filling my house with a broken pinball table would be the absolute worst thing i could do (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think bethany used to work at team 17 has a load of pinball tables i think she talked about how like getting them repaired was like the biggest pain in the ass in the world basically because there's probably like five guys who can do them or like if you need replacement parts it's probably like oh have you got any of the uh, plastic gomezes for the adams family and it's like well obviously not we stopped making this thing 30 years ago <laughs> yeah okay just that alone i don't have time for a hobby that, that has that level of requirement to it you know what i mean like video games are actually quite well suited to me come to think of yeah it. so yeah okay <laughs> good all right so you got the pinball game for that i, I think that's fine i think that genre that, that pick that was probably slightly too hard a category to pick for to be honest like the problem with um, that one is the joke in the title is the best one yeah like yeah the coronation it, street the mystery of the missing hot pot recipe is is like the perfect ex- version well, of this it's like you could have gone for stuff like lost via domus you know like but that's ass obviously like, uh, there's probably more here like or, or like i think there's uh no, I don't know. Or like you could have gone for, um, you know, what you could have gone for actually is Trespasser. You know, that's sort of like quite unusual, oh, isn't okay. it? Okay, yeah, yeah, kind of weird. A weird adaptation of a uh, of that genre. I suppose like FPS is not weird, but the hand thing is fucking weird, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Looking at your boob tattoo for health. <laughs> I do it often. Okay, so um, 
okay, my next pick then. A second to last for me. Bad license, good game. So this is this really, like I say, is the Starbreeze category. And so I think there is only really one truly amazing pick for this, uh, at least one that comes to mind. And that was what Matthew took, the Chronicles of Riddick. I, I fully accept that that is a good pick. But the darkness is the other um, sort of like element here um, at play. So the pick becomes, do I take the darkness or the darkness too? Darkness, a little bit more of a stealth kind of game, a little bit more cerebral, a, be- a better story, adaptations of a dark horse comic from the 90s that i think is is quite naff unfortunately um top cow uh was the 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 line that published that one i just think um a little bit lame sort of like mafia man has a load of monster shit going on i think that's just like <laughs> got raw like when artists come up with comics and who artists who aren't really writers come up come up with comics that's the sort of thing they come up with no offense to those people um <laughs> but the darkness 2 is the game that said You've got these cool tentacles, right, on your shoulders. What if they could, like, throw shit and eviscerate people while you shot a load of dudes in an absolutely, like, rip-roaring 7 out of 10, while the entire reality of what's going on in the story is questioned alongside as you wake up in this kind of, like, um, I guess, like, a mental health facility is probably the best way to put it. And so <laughs> you... Yeah, and so that that kind of, like, mix of elements, just, like, a really fun sort of like died in the wall six hour long 360 era shooter um really good probably is slightly better than a seven out of ten honestly was has this really nice cel-shaded visual style so it's quite different to the original darkness but it's probably the one i'd rather replay so Mm. naff license fun game hits the spot thoughts matthew yeah uh yeah that's 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 like i said i I didn't really know i uh, like the darkness did cross my mind but i didn't know if it was a like beloved comic license or not so didn't make the list but uh yeah by that logic a good pick it was this or the house uh game on um ds matthew so uh house md the game a couple of other things i had for this uh the mummy demastered all right the terrible tom cruise mummy film turned into a pretty solid sort of six seven out of ten way forward metroidvania in a similar way to alien infestation Mm. kind of like felt felt like that wing of way forward what they did after alien infestation was probably the mummy demastered um similar to uh x-men origins wolverine there was that quite nasty punisher game based on the thomas jane the punisher oh yeah the ps2 one yeah Yeah. by volition yeah so that's that's got a bit of that kind of like mortal Kombat, soldier of fortune sort of naughty but you sort of desire it um and also that version of the punisher that film was fucking diabolical so isn't that game famous for dunking a guy in a piranha tank and then they're like skeleton comes out i think that's something that happens in that game yeah they ended up censoring it a lot but i think you can like emulate it and play like as it was meant to be done and it's got some quite yeah gnarly stuff in it uh the other one i thought about was the uh x versus sever (laughs) yeah the not bad uh gba first person shooter um based on the I've never seen it, but I've heard all-time, all-time um, stinker with Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I think that, that's a, that's a good shout as well. But I think also, got... not, like, who gives a shit about X versus Seven? I mean, come on. Well, the truth is as well. I did want to create space for Starbreeze in here because I think they are they're sort of like that's like its own track of license games. <laughs> right. so there's no there's no reason for those to be as good as they are, but it is relevant to our modern moment because there's a through line between the Chronicles of Riddick and this upcoming Indiana Jones game, right? Like that's, mm. you know, that, that, that's like a, there is a DNA that stretches between those things. So yeah. Um, important anyway. Okay. So have you got one more pick? Is that right? Yeah. 
It's cursed. cursed. Oh, man. Saving the worst until last. The worst until last. I mean, there's so many things. Like, what here? I've got loads, but what is the most cursed? Because have you thought of something more cursed than I've thought of? There's a really obvious answer to this one. Oh. You know what it is. Come on. Oh, I don't know that I do, but that's... uh, I'm going to take... I'm going to take the Fight Club game. <laughs> I don't think I knew that that existed. Oh, wait, is that the one that's got Fred Durst in it? Yeah. <laughs> Fu- oh, that's a good pick. Well done. I, <laughs> that's yeah. cursed, right? <laughs> you got a, Yeah, oh yeah. Fred Durst, like, well done. Well the done. idea of making a movie licensed tie in a Fight Club just goes against everything that, like, Fight Club's about. Like, Tyler Durden <laughs> would fucking kill the people who made this game, for sure. <laughs> that it exists shows just a complete misunderstanding of what that film was preaching. That on top of it, it's a piece of shit fighting game, a, a terrible fighting game, without most of the actors from the film. I think the only person who reprises their role is Meatloaf as Bob, and obviously it adds Fred Durst. Who's <laughs> um, <laughs> like, just as good as Brad Pitt, if you ask me. Everything about this is like no one understood Fight Club who watched who who made this game. The idea that Fred Durst is in any way a substitute for Brad Pitt and Ed Norton is just it's just insane. I don't feel like I need to say much more about this. Um, hopefully, its mere existence is cursed enough. Yeah, well done. The Fred Durst thing is like the like that's the sort of Michael Fassbender perfection sort of like meme. Uh, when I hear that, <laughs> I, heard, I was like, oh yeah, well done. That is good. Yeah, so I think there was plenty to choose from. Superman sixty four, I think, is would be the real. Oh yeah, one. yeah. Um, but I thought that would be too obvious actually, and I wanted to pick something I did play. And I did think was like total ass and was so bad. I think it actually like forced a sort of a bit of a reckoning of the landscape of can we keep doing games that are this bad? Because it's just so awful. And that is the Simpsons wrestling. So um, double dipping on the Simpsons there. But it was just so shit. PS1 game cashing in on the, you know, late 90s. Definitely the sort of like peak era for, for wrestling games. People would probably agree with that. And just like has a very small roster of characters and is just ugly as sin like awful to play (laughs) just like total shit and just like sold because it had the license it had like original voice acting in it but also just like the it's like a parody of a video game that would exist within the simpsons itself you got flanders shouting hi diddly ho hi diddly ho hi diddly ho while like attacking (laughs) i just I, i played a bit of it this morning on um an older boy told me how to access it on the steam deck and it's just it's really it's shit it fails in every single way but it's also just like it's the contempt because the simpsons was so popular in the late 90s that this sold so many copies despite being so awful and it's just like like it just there's no reason to make a wrestling game based on the simpsons at least there's like a logic to the simpsons hit and run but the fucking wrestling game there's no, not even an episode of the simpsons that's about wrestling there's a boxing episode they could have done that but fucking hell <laughs> Uh, just so shit. Um, <laughs> just like a, a, a true insult. Uh, I, remember, I remember this getting its its head kicked in in Games Master, and like I, I actually think the magazines at the time were a little more forgiving to like Simpsons and South Park, just because they were cool. N sixty four magazine overrated like all the South Park games. They were universally terrible in N sixty four, just because they were like, oh, we like hearing the sound bites of the characters who we like, and you're like, that isn't that isn't good enough. So that that the Simpsons didn't even that the Simpsons wrestling didn't even get that pass shows mm. you like how truly rancid it is. Yeah, and it, oh yeah, it made so much money as well, and like it's just a shame because there are no Simpsons games now 
But this would actually be a really good time to make a Simpsons game before all the cast die, for one. That's like one thing. But also just that, you know, licensed games have been on the upswing. The Simpsons is kind of evergreen in its popularity. Um, and yet we sort of like, it's got such a sordid history. Uh, there's like, you know, two to three ga- good games at most, you could argue. And mm. Simpsons Wrestling was just like the Nadir. Just like, and there were so many dog shit PS1 licensed games. Gotham City Racing. Like just so many south park game that you mentioned yeah but the simpsons wrestling that's suitably cursed matthew to represent that corner of licensed games i think so yeah okay the fucking weird draft this one so that's um that's just that's us done we'll go through the i, oh, for, I had a couple of other cursed things very quickly because i didn't yeah. know if they were cursed enough the sopranos road to respect great one great pick yeah just like low polygon poorly walnuts no thank you <laughs> um that reservoir dogs game i think that's just a shit action game though to be honest yeah i don't think that's like a one out of ten game i think that's just like mediocre i think any game with austin powers in um <laughs> there was like an austin powers pinball the funniest thing about austin powers pinball is they basically reskinned it and released it as kiss pinball as in the band kiss Right. Um, and it's got the same table layout as Austin Powers pinball, except they've replaced Austin Powers' face with Gene Simmons' face, and it hasn't got even got any Kiss music in it. <laughs> Amazing. Does it? Does it still have like? Does it? Is there like a soundbite of Groovy Baby left in? <laughs> oh, if you get oh, a that would be the icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, it would. So, like the idea of like trying to make games out of Austin Powers seems so futile. Like it's yeah, yeah. But, but that just speaks to its popularity, really. But yeah, some good ones there, Matthew. Okay. Shall we go for our picks one more time? Yeah, let's see. Are there, were there any winners here? Who knows? <laughs> Only losers. Whoever wins, we lose. Yeah. See, maybe I should have picked Taylor versus Predator. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, category one, movie tie-in. I picked Goldeneye. I picked The Warriors. Category two, TV show tie-in. I picked The Simpsons Hit and Run. I've got TMNT, Shredder's Revenge. Category three, 90 plus on Metacritic. I picked Marvel Spider-Man 2. I've got Batman, Arkham City. Category four, guilty pleasure. I picked The Matrix, Path of Neo. I've got X-Men, Origins, Wolverine. What a weekend that double bill is. (laughs) (laughs) My weekends now still look like that, to be honest. Oh, right. (laughs) Um, Category five, side-scroller slash 2D game. I picked Astro Boy, Omega Factor. I've got Aladdin on the Mega Drive. Category six, uh, 90s favorite. I picked Star Wars TIE Fighter. I've got Blade Runner. Category 7, bad license, good game. I've got The Darkness 2. I've got The Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay. Category 8, Cursed. I've got The Simpsons Wrestling. I've got Fight Club. <laughs> Very similar <laughs> games, actually. Category 9, The Coronation Street, The Mystery of the Missing Hot Pot Recipe, Wild Card Category. I picked Parasite Eve. I've got Pinball FX, Empire Strikes Back Table. Category 10, Free Pick. I've got Alien Isolation. And I've got The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. That is the weirdest draft. Yeah. I mean... What a, what the fuck is going on? Astro Boy next to the Matrix. Like, what <laughs> happened to this podcast? Like, uh, that's very warped. Okay, so you can pick, um, decide who won at uh, twitter.com slash backpage pod, and then the uh, the poll will be pinned there. Um, that's us done. So, a few things to note. So, as mentioned on last week's episode, we're having a break in December. So, um, there is going to be, there are going to be three episodes from us. And the Patreon is going to be locked, basically. So what happens is I'm going to pause billing so no one will get charged. But if you were, if you did want to listen to the Patreon content over Christmas, um, you would have to sign up before November 30th, or otherwise you'll have to wait until uh, January, um, I think, now. So just um, just a note there in case you fancied listening to the XLs or the XXLs over Christmas. You, If you are already subscribed, you won't lose access. You'll have everything in there, and you'll still receive the pods as normal, but just a bit of admin there, Matthew. So... Mm-hmm. 
You can follow the podcast at Backpage Pod on uh, Blue Sky or Twitter. Matthew, where can people find you? I'm at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto on Twitter. And on Blue Sky, I'm at Mr. Basil Pesto, no underscore. Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter and Blue Sky. Back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.